get it going. It's time to get up. Back to back for us after, you know, a great successful series like this and they're sitting in Vancouver waiting for us. Clearly we won't catch them off guard. They'll be very much ready and it's going to be a, a great challenge for us here to turn the page quickly on this and, and move on to a, to a different opponent. These guys are here to break it all down. Does it add to the frustration that you guys uh, really didn't uh, hold up your end of the bargain? No, we love that. We love going without a point in, in three days for sure. It's great. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. I'm going back to bed. See you guys. This is the starting lineup. Here's James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski. Rise and shine, Metro Vancouver. It is Thursday, March 4th. It is game day in the city, and this is the starting lineup here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. James Sabolski here, Perry Solkowski there, Greg Fallick on the other side of the glass, kicking it with you until 9 o'clock this morning here on Sportsnet 650 on the AM dial. You can also find us in high definition on HD3 at 96.9, or you can also find us on the Sportsnet app. Dunbar Lumber text line always open for business. Love it when you yell at us. Love it when you love us, too. 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line at Sportsnet650 is where you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as well. And, man, I love, like, listen to all these players being salty this year. I mean, clearly we're not the only ones being tested mentally with this pandemic, right? Leon Dreisaitl last night, you know, kind of sounded off with sarcasm. And, man, we heard... You know, Jacob Voracek from the Flyers earlier this season just basically calling guys a piece of crap <laughs> in, in, in scrums. Yeah. People are getting salty this year, Pear, and it's only the beginning of March. It's kind of like the text line that, uh, that that players have this year. You don't see anybody face-to-face, so you can have at it. You know what's funny? Dreisaitl with the nasty answer, and I'm just you know going through Twitter as we do in the morning to see, and there's a, a reporter at Edmonton that I, I follow Rob Joukowsky, who writes for The Sun, and I just see, oh, he just had a tweet on just before we come in the air. He goes, yeah, that was on me. Uh, I, you know, was, the first answer was dismissive, so I really went at him. And, and I don't even have the context because I haven't heard the dry sidle. And then I hear the opening, and that's Joukowsky, and that's obviously the question to dry sidle. I'm going, well, you know, yeah, you could be mad. He didn't necessarily word the question the right way, but you know, get to the point. You weren't good. You know, there you are, the two best players in the world. You take on the Leafs, your no-shows. You guys get outscored 13-1. Better way to phrase the question, but Rob's kind of, oh, apologize. Yeah, that was on me. I shouldn't have been so mean. No, they lost 13-1 to in three games. You can be mad at them. I, I love it when you, if you watch the Canucks press conference, they have it on Twitter. Every, there's not one reporter in the history of Vancouver sports that's asked a good question. Terrible question. Softball question. Blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, you lose like that. The Oilers are salty. And, and great, the Canucks have the Leafs coming in exhausted. Advantage Vancouver tonight. A little sarcasm coming at you. <laughs> well, you catch them on the – you know, look, I mean, find whatever competitive advantage you can find. I mean, this is – I mean, this is a one-sided matchup when you look at the season head-to-head rivalry so far this year, Pair. I mean, this is what? The Leafs are 3-0. and But, man, like they have steamrolled everybody. This is the best 24-game start in franchise history, a club that's been around for over 100 years. But look at the numbers here. 18 wins, four regulation losses, and two ties for the Toronto Maple Leafs this season. They've picked up points in 20 out of 24 games this season. Man, they are almost double the points right now than the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, they, they, they could leave here over twice as many points. And we're wrestling with it last night, and, and I sit with it this morning, James. 
are they that good? Are they a juggernaut that should be a Stanley Cup favorite? Easier road this year when you get there. Or are they playing in a Canadian Scotiabank North Gord Downey division that's not as good as I thought it would be? Like, I mean, we hear Travis Green all the time. There's no nights off. Well, there's no nights off if your team's playing terrible. But the, the Leafs feel like there's a night night off. It, it's tough to look at. I mean, I, there's so much skill with the exception for Ottawa that's now playing with a lot of gumption and young talent speed that I, I think the Leafs full value for a crown they're on, but sometimes, you know, mentally weak. That's what Dave Tippett was talking about his team yesterday. Do the Leafs have a level that after a couple of shots, there's not enough competitive fire in a Calgary, in a Vancouver, in an Edmonton that we've seen, that they're actually, you know, they're not as good as their record indicates? I Look, I think the Leafs are that good. Now, are they ready to knock off the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Boston Bruins, the Vegas Golden Knights, Colorado Avalanche? I, don't, I mean, that's the one thing that I think it's a great unknown right now. But I think the Leafs, it's, they're, they're head and shoulders better than everybody. But I don't know if you could sit there and all of a sudden, did we overrate this division? I'm not so sure on that. You know, you, like there were, there were question marks about every team in the North, right? There was, there was a question mark. Like, was it, well. was it fair? Look, I, I'll tell you this much. Was it not fair to think, if you were a Calgary Flames fan, to think that it was unreasonable to have hope that you could go after a Stanley Cup this year? I, I, I think that's Look, fair. Guarantee the they thought that a Stanley the Cup. Ba- they yeah, they no, solved no, the problem. A hundred percent, right? I don't think that's unfair to say. Like, okay, like it's a, you know they are chasing a Stanley Cup. You know, you were in a window right now with prime years of Connor McDavid and Edmonton, feeling like, hey, you know what? We're gonna go after it. What? But there are obviously holes, question marks with goaltending going into the seats. I don't think people necessarily thought it was realistic that the Canucks were a Stanley Cup contender this year. But there was obviously oh. a thought that this team was going to be a playoff team in this market. Um, I think the Jets, look, I still think the Jets are a good hockey team. I think the Montreal Canadiens are still a very good hockey team. You get either one of those teams in a best-of-seven series, and I'll say this, like either one of those teams with all, any team in the league, with the goaltending that they have, and yes, I understand the problems for Carey Price, but I, it wouldn't shock me to see Winnipeg or Montreal come out of this division. You know, those two teams are heavy enough to play in a seven-game series. I think they're both heavy enough to go on a deep run. Yeah, I I think this, you know, window dressing, window shopping a lot. We were very excited to drop the puck when the season began because there was hope in Vancouver. Listen, I mean, what you saw in the bubble, and even though they lost some guys at the end, you're going, all right, Hamannick's going to help. Schmidt should be okay. We're better on the defensive end. In goal, we should be better with this tandem. All right, yeah, we know there's a void on the right side, and maybe we'll address it. Hoaglander might be able to fit the role. And then it kind of seemed to work ethic and decision-making that has, has been the Achilles heel for the two months that the Vancouver Canucks have been on the ice. For Calgary, yeah, you look like, oh, all right, you stopped it. There you go. But is that the real problem, right? It seems like it's been the character that has come out in the last month where you go, maybe it's just a bad mix that that team has. So, yeah, you can beat up on the Calgary Flames, albeit Flames got one from them a couple weeks ago in Toronto when they were reeling. That's what we hope to see. I'm with you on Winnipeg. I do think Winnipeg's a talented hockey team. may not be all this show, but the move they made, they've handled their issues. I think that's a legit team to beat. And Montreal on the other side, that's a lot of changes that they went through. Will they be good? I think they'll continue to get better. But I do think the Leafs have picked up some points on some bad hockey teams at the right time. Not what they did in Edmonton. 
They had Edmonton rolling with as much confidence as they've had in three years and just completely shut down the two best players in the world and said, we'll get it done. And it's amazing how, hey, give some credit. We're always on Jim Benning. Give some credit to Kyle Dubas who's taking his heat to go, man, you had the Midas touch there. You know, the signing of Brody, uh, uh, Zach Pagosian coming back. You're going, all right, you, you've solidified a lot, and you've got everybody playing defense. Take care of defense. Everything will work out itself offensively. Uh, they win on bad nights, and that's a sign of a good team. Uh, coming up, uh, Sean McKenzie uh, from uh, Sportsnet, who uh, travels and covers with the, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, will join us here in just a few minutes. Uh, much more on uh, the best team in the North Division uh, in just a few minutes. Uh, it is game day as well. David Amber from Hockey Night in Canada will drop on by uh, just after 7 o'clock. Uh, and then at 8 on your Canucks commute, Ian McIntyre, Sportsnet Canucks insider, uh, joining the conversation as well. I want to throw this out <laughs> to people this morning here, Pear, because, you know, there's a lot of – there's a lot of shrapnel going on with the Canucks management, specifically Jim Benning, and the thank you Jim, Be- the thank you Jim movement is is continuing to be fast and furious here across Canucks land. But look, we sit there and hammer Jim Benning, and rightly so for a lot of moves that are misses and that have uh, you know hurt this team over the seven years. But tell me this, because we're all armchair quarterbacks here. What's one move? that you can say, I told you so. They never should have done that. It was wrong when they did it then, and it's still wrong now. What's one move that you can sit there and say, I told you so, but, but, what's one move that you can say, oh, you know what? I got that one wrong. I thought that that one was, I I liked that move at the time, and that one kind of went to mush. What's what or what's one move that you got wrong? One move yeah. maybe you hated. Maybe you hated that JT Miller deal at the time, and you're oh, okay. But what's one move you got wrong, and what's one move that you say you can say I told you so. I knew it then. I know it now. So what's your what's your hit and your miss? Six fifty six fifty the Dunbar Lumber text line. You got you got a hit and miss. Well, I kept the pin tweet up for pretty much a whole year. Um, the day of, or the day after, I believe I was on holidays and I said, can't get, can't wait to get back to work with the boys and tell them that JT Miller is going to lead this team in scoring next year. I was all in for, you know what? Give up a draft pick, get a guy with experience. JT Miller could score goals. So I was all over that. I kept it up for everybody to see. So I'm good with that. And at the same time, I'm not going to go back too far in history too, where I was, going, you know what? Yeah, that's that's a smart play, too. That's going to work. And it's the gambler in me, and it really goes, man, that was just stupid to even go there. I'm not going far because he's still paying the price for it. I thought the, the move to get Michael Furlan, I was kind of to hell with the doctors. He's going to be okay. Uh, and that just was, he should never have gone down that road. Um, too much risk involved to get in there. Uh, and it just, it was completely wrong for them to go go there. Someone's already in with the, the Furland thing, too. I, I thought it was a smart move, risky. I, I would have done it, but in hindsight, really stupid. Shouldn't have been cheering for that one. How about you? I, I didn't I didn't mind. I Actually, I didn't mind the Furland. I, I didn't mind the Furland at the time. I'll say that, okay, so a deal I really liked. Um, uh, there's a few that come to mind. One that I got wrong, and it's more from a recency standpoint, Braden Holpe. I like that move going back, what, five months ago. I, I, that was one I was okay with. I thought, man, you know what? I think there's a great opportunity for a bounce back here. But are you telling me, James, stock. that that's done? Yeah. That that's done now? Like, you don't think uh, Holpe will ever play, get in a, a groove? 
Like, I think you're throwing that one out like it's a loss already. Well, I'd say at this point right now, he seems to be more like the trend that we've seen for the last two years, right? Like, this is coming up on almost three straight seasons where this guy's had a save percentage below nine, right? Like, this is, uh, I think I think he is who people thought he was. You know, I and I was willing to buy stock on that. I think, yeah, you're right. I think there's time to turn it around, but that's, that's one I'll take an L on right now. And one that I would say, I told you so. I thought it was a, you know, man, I, I think the one that, that uh, man, at the time, and Perry, I, I know you're going to agree with me on this one, the Sven Berici contract. Ugh. 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 Hated it. Hated it then. Ugh. And here we are now in 2021 with still a dislike on it. You know, you look back at some of the decisions that Benning made to to bring guys in. One that kind of went by the way. So I went to the fact that last year, go, geez, he played here last year. Tim Schaller went from making like seven hundred thousand dollars to almost making two million for really doing nothing. Like, give Jim credit, right or wrong, that he's loyal to some guys he likes. Berchie being one through Portland ties, and 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 Tim Schaller coming from Boston to get almost two million for a couple years. Not even in the NHL anymore. It's like, wow, he's in Wilkes-Barre trying to get it done. And going, where did this ever fit in? I mean, unfortunately, someone said every free agent signing is, and I told you so. Well, not everyone, but, but there's a pretty good list. And I would, tit, uh, I, I would put Tim Schaller there. And then Berge, too. Like, who at that point, like, who's going, this is a great move. He's, he's ready to really pop off in the NHL. Man, some guys are going to the bank. Thank you, Jim. Uh, Carl texting in uh, at 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, hated Vertanen. Hated that Vertanen contract. Yeah. Schmidt, great deal. Loved the, loved the Schmidt. Told you in that one. Knew it was going to be a great deal, says Carl. Hated the Vertanen contract at the time. Well, is the Schmidt deal a great deal? Will we be looking at that contract for a while and going, hmm, all right. You, you picked him up. I, I like it. We haven't seen, I think, Schmidt and Holtby are in the same boat. Schmidt's certainly been a lot better than Holtby has been, as more is expected of Nate Schmidt. But, I mean, can we judge that quickly? Uh, I think a lot of people were, all right, we got him. We've got a guy, there's a top four blue liner for a long time. I got another miss that I actually I, I really liked at the time, and, and now uh, it didn't turn out. Uh, 14 minutes after 6 o'clock, it is game day as the Vancouver Canucks welcome the Toronto Maple Leafs into town uh, for the first of a double shot here at Rogers Arena. Pre-game show at 5 o'clock, 7 o'clock puck drop at Rogers Arena. Sean McKenzie from Sportsnet uh, on the East Coast joins us here uh, man a guy who i clearly didn't get his dad's fashion sense like this guy's his instagram game's pretty good man mckenzie how you doing man <laughs> i'm doing great guys how are you i appreciate the uh, the early morning pump up i like it although it's not as early uh here as it is for you guys so i shouldn't complain there you go you're ready to have a beer already aren't you oh man it's almost 10 it's almost 10 a.m isn't that the normal time <laughs> exactly Right, give me a sense of, uh, you know, we were kind of discussing whether or not, like, look, are the Leafs just simply benefiting from a soft division? But, man, it's hard not to think that this team is just that good. Like, I, John Tavares gets ripped kind of like JT Miller here, and he's still almost a point-of-game player here, Sean. That, that's the crazy thing is, like, is there something to be said about the Leafs absolutely taking it, you know, to teams that, you know, maybe normally, you know, picking up wins against the Canucks this year and the Ottawa Senators? But, you know, you look at, 
the Oilers and they were a team that was coming off a handful of wins and a lot of the same people that say this is this is awful the Leafs are just dominating bad teams are the same people that were screaming from the rooftops you know days ago weeks ago years ago that Connor McDavid's impossible to stop Drysaddle and McDavid are studs and and then the Leafs went out and not only just you know it, it wasn't a eight five game it wasn't ten five for the Leafs that you know they shut those two down and you know was that because you know the Leafs are a superior defensive team this year I would say yes but it just seems like right now they're firing on all cylinders and and the the big debate of and it's just it gets a little frustrating to see well you know it all depends on your mindset if you're a fan of the Tampa Bay Lightning the Boston Bruins and these American teams the Capitals the 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 Golden Knights and you see all this love for the Leafs because look Toronto gets a lot of hype all across the country and then North America hockey wise you're going to say it's an easy division it sucks if you're the Leafs fans you're going to say we're just that good so guess what you can argue until you're blue in the face it's the NHL there's going to be playoffs and there's going to be crossovers so no matter what you think right now eventually we're going to get a get an answer to it Sean it's almost like uh, the Leafs came to training camp and inside everybody's locker room was a big white binder from high school that said you know how to play team defense for dummies like how have they all of a sudden just played good and I know it's helped the moves in the blue line but man that's a five-man unit that actually thinks when they lose the puck Let's defend, get it back, and create. Like, did they just flip a switch this year? I, I think it was partly the guys that were already there maturing. I think, you know, I think when you look at the team, you know, you go back to the Washington Capitals, and for years and years it was they're not mature enough. They lose to Pittsburgh every year. They can score, but they'll never be a good actual team. And you lose, you lose, you lose, and you finally get over that hump. But I'm not saying that the, the, the Maple Leafs are where the Washington Capitals were the year that they went on to win the Cup, but more so in the sense that, these teams, they have to learn it. And I think people forget that their superstar offensive players were 19, 20, 21, and guys that on paper and just to the, the naked eye were studs and, and they were dominant at times, but they hadn't really played defense at the National League level. So I think that those guys are, you know, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, and, and people will rip them all. But I think they are learning the ins and outs of the other side of the puck. And I think the biggest thing, though, is you, you the Leafs were always showed flashes of it. It was just those big time gaps of four or five games and, you know, four or five games when they needed the most in the playoffs where, you know, there was a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there where things just fall apart horribly. So I think they were close. And I think you go out and you add the little pieces that they did. I think each little piece almost kind of shored up that puzzle where, you know, you add a guy like Bogosian who, you know, who solidifies things a little deeper in the blue line. You add TJ Brody who helps out Morgan Riley. And then you add Joe Thornton. You, and you add all these little tiny pieces that all – don't look huge on paper and then you kind of put it together and you go wow you know they they kind of fill out what those missing pieces were but again it's you know i'm like all teams and i'm hesitant to sit here and say that this is a team that's figured it out defensively they sure look like they have but we know that the Leafs can dominate in the regular season but come you know playoff time can they play that style of hockey sean mckenzie here on sportsnet 650 what did I see a stat after the game last night? The Leafs have allowed just two goals in the last 257 minutes, I think it is, McKenzie. Like, is this... Yeah, it's, cra- we, it's crazy. We, yeah, like, we, we talk so much about the firepower on this team, but is this is this Leafs club more defined so far this year by its defensive play rather than its offense that we talk about? Uh, absolutely, and I think there's, you know, you talk about a couple weeks ago when everyone was ripping John Tavares and William Nylander, but, you know, they were the top team in the NHL and they were winning hockey games at a ridiculous rate. So you sit there and go like, 
you know, do you care if, if, if John Tavares isn't putting up 30 goals this season? Do you care if William Nylander isn't the best player on the ice every night? Because they're winning and they're playing a different style of game. So I think if you talk to those guys, John Tavares would say, look, I, I want to score every night, but I have different priorities. And I don't need to be a 50-goal scorer because Austin Matthews is. I don't need to be a crazy setup man because Mitch Marner does that. And even those two would say, like, look, we're committing to being better two-way players. And, and often you hear these, and, you know, we talked about maturity a few minutes ago, and you get these teams that talk about the maturity is in the sense of we don't need to score 10 goals a night. And we've realized that. We still like to, but we don't really make it a priority. So I think the biggest thing is, you know, in years past, when you put a guy like Michael Hutchinson in that or you lose Frederick Anderson, and but there, there were – you know, lots of people saying in Toronto, going, we're screwed, we're done. Frederick Anderson's out of the lineup. Michael Hutchinson's coming in. We're, and then he gets a shutout against Connor McDavid and, and, uh, and Leon Dreisaitl. And you're going, wow. And I don't want to take anything away from Hutch, but Michael Hutchinson isn't a superstar goalie in this league. He's, he's not no. a number one goalie. And, and he was a fourth goalie for the Leafs. But the Leafs D allowed him to have that kind of success. And yeah, he played great. That's not taken away from him. But to be able to put Michael Hutchinson in net against two of the best players in the National Hockey League and have that result, I think that says so much about where the Leafs have come from. Because before, that very well could have either been a 6-4 loss or a 10-8 win for the Leafs. But it looked totally different than what I think Leaf fans expected it to look like. And Sean, on the flip side, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this team, and thanks to their offensive talent, if they're not having a great game, they still seem to be pulling up points if they're close, going, a sign of a good team. We weren't the better team on the ice, but we'll leave with two points or we'll leave with one because we've got enough talent. Is that a fair? I, I, oh, 100, 100%, and that's what we're seeing. That There's been games that uh, I remember doing a game, uh, There was it was against the Canucks uh, after those two big ones, and then they played yeah, this, boring exactly. 11 chip, seconds. this boring kind of chippy, you know, where they, you know, they probably shouldn't have won that game. They were outmatched, but good teams managed to do that. And I think they're becoming a team that they weren't in the past, where they were a good team, but they would not win those games. They would fall apart, whether it be mentally, whether it be defensively. And, you know, if they were getting pushed around early on in a game, it would end up, you know, 3 nothing, or they would score one later. But now they're looking like that team that can grind out wins. And it's been a very long time since people could have said that about the Leafs. They were high-flying, they were fun, but they weren't grinding out wins. They were either dominating or they were having mental breakdowns that led to bad losses. So finally, I think, you know, when they talk about in training camp, we want to be more consistent. I think that's exactly what they mean, that they have the ability to have Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner either out of the lineup or, you know, not feeling their best or not playing their best, and they still have enough power, you know, to, to, to win a game 2-1 or one nothing. where before that, that wasn't even an option. The Leafs weren't winning games one nothing. It was 5-1 or, or bust, basically. Well, Sean, thanks very much for this. Uh, nice to catch up with you, and uh, you know, and I think every Canucks fan listening really appreciates the optimism that you've given for the home team tonight against. Uh, <laughs> well, that's the thing; they can win no matter what. <laughs> it's always funny whenever I do show, whenever I do your guys' show or whenever I do like a broadcast that has Canucks. You know, any market that uh, you always get a couple tweets. You love the Leafs; they suck, and you know they're soft division. And I expect a few of those, but the simple fact is. is the numbers don't lie, and, and oh. I'm not saying they're they're going to win the cup, but I'm really curious to see if they uh, if they can do this come playoff time. But they look like a different team. So, uh, sorry, Canucks fans, I don't want to pump up the Leafs too much because I yeah. know there's a bit of a rivalry there. I love the Canucks, but uh, it is what it is. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, guys. That's uh, Sean McKenzie with a, a sorry <laughs> not sorry. I'll say this, Bearman. 
if and when the Leafs ever actually win, people are yeah. going to hate, hate me for saying this. Man, it will be huge across the country. Oh, Not just see, in Toronto, I don't know. Pal. It'll be massive. Massive. I don't, I- I don't know. I think there's enough hate towards Toronto. Like I was going to say, you know, everybody jump on. We the North. Everybody jump on and be a Raptors fan, even if you weren't a big NBA fan. All right, that's cool. It's Canada. I'm not so sure. I mean, we will get inundated with it. I think they have a legitimate shot, but I'm not so sure. I mean, we can see in the text line already, there's just some people that anything but the Leafs, right? You just don't want yeah, to see sure. it happen. Sure, but and, you know what? But uh, but the half the rink, half the rink is filled with Leafs fans every every time the Leafs come. Ah, uh, because they're loudmouths. Right? <laughs> no, Look it this. speaks I... to the size of the fan base. Like I'm just telling you that. Look, I, you know, you talk about like Salt Lake and you, you know, the the gold medal win and the celebration and the celebration in Vancouver. Look, I'm not going to say it's an Olympic celebration, but I'm going to tell you this: like, oh, no man, Stanley Cup, no Stanley Cup celebration will be as big across the country as when the Toronto Maple Leafs ultimately find a way to win it. Man, are you It'll trying to ruin massive. our text inbox, Seaball? Are you trying <laughs> purposefully? Oh, I'm just, it's the reality, man. Like, look, like, look, are you kidding me? Like, think about how many, look at how many Dallas Cowboys fans people know, right? So magnify that in this country by how many, that everybody knows a Leafs fan. Everybody knows lots of Leafs fans. Whether you're a Canucks fan or not, living out here, there are tons of Leaf fans out there. They might be but, quieter than than a lot of Canucks fans out here, but man, in every market, it's a huge city, and there are lots of fans of the Leafs from a generational standpoint. I'll tell you, like it'll be huge. Like it or not, it'll be huge. I uh, listen. I will not argue that the Leafs have a big fan base, but I'll say this: I think the neutral observer. If you're a Calgary fan, a Vancouver fan, you might have more of a tendency to be a, you know what, I don't have a problem with Montreal. I don't have a problem with that organization. If you're going to an original six, I think unless you're you're born in your Maple Leaf and you're wearing your blue and white everywhere, you might, the neutral observer might lend himself to go, you know what, a little more class there, how they pass the flame and handle things in Montreal. Because everything we have and have heard for 25 years, because of the way the city is set up and the way the media is set up, it's Toronto, 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 even when they're not good, it's Toronto. It will be, uh, I'm not so sure it'll be the greatest. Uh, the fact that you were, used the word Olympics in your conversation to uh, draw a parallel. Listen, it'll be ad nauseum if they get that far. I, if I've got to pick a team, to, I want Canada to win a Stanley Cup, somebody. I don't think the Leafs are my first choice. I could give you five or six other ones just because it's easier to take. I don't like the odds on the other teams. I think the Leafs are that good. All right, 26 minutes after 6 o'clock, 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. A lot of hits and misses on your I told you so, or I got that one wrong. Uh, we'll get to some of those. Uh, Mark Bergevin, you talk about, you know, we talked about Leon Dreisaitl getting testy. Mark Bergevin getting testy in Montreal with a reporter. Uh, Nathan McKinnon uh, has taken a, a very controversial hit last night in the National Hockey League as well. We'll get to that. And plus, it is time to ride Thatcher Demko. We'll get to all of that next right here on your home of the Canucks. It's game day here on Sports. Sportsnet 650. John Leonard for the Sharks skips one up to center, and McKinnon patiently waited, and then he took a hit from Blickfeld, and McKinnon is down, and now the Avalanche are trying to get it. Blickfeld, there's a penalty on the play, and Nathan McKinnon is not doing well as the medical staff comes out to attend to Nathan McKinnon. Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Oh, fascinating hit last night in the Avs and the Sharks game. Uh, 
Joaquin Blickfeld, youngster, former Western Hockey League Player of the Year just two years ago, catching Nathan McKinnon, uh, and officials deeming it a headshot because it was a match penalty on the ice. But, man, pair, I have watched that. There's a lot of different angles of it. I'd be curious to see where the league takes it from here because I'm not so sure that the head is the principal point of contact on this. Yes, there is contact to the head, but depending on which angle you see this, it looks like he might have caught the arm first. I wonder if it may not be much more than what the match penalty kind of might serve the purpose or the sentence, but you're talking about a star player, and I'm all about protecting the stars. But uh, this one, I'm not sure it's as egregious as some people might think it is. First time I saw it was, you know, you're, you're thinking, you know, because it was Colorado, I mean, that Steve Moore hit that started the whole incident on on Marcus Naz, and it was similar in a sense. But I'm with you. You know, you watch four or five different angles, and you go, okay, does he get him on the head? And I mean, they've saw it that if that's the first principal point of contact, you don't think a kid who, you know, two years removed from the Western Hockey League Player of the Year is a guy who's thinking, here's my chance to lay out Nathan McKinnon. Almost felt bad for the young guy, but uh, you're going to protect your superstars. And, you know, you just get scared when you see a headshot like that. Sometimes it seems like it's glancing, and the effects can be a long, long time. So I, I know they're not supposed to look as to who was it who got hit, but I think this kid might see it a little bit, uh, depending on what they have. If they have more angles than we've been able to see on social media, uh, who knows. But it's never good when you see a star like Nathan McKinnon go down. That's That's tough. And you can't think that that was premeditated in any sense from this kid. Uh, James Sabalski, Perry Solkowski, kicking it with you. It is game day as the Canucks and the Leafs. Uh, and, man, it's funny to see the Dunbar Lumber text line seems to be rallying and uniting all Canucks fans here with their collective hate for the Leafs. Uh, we'll talk to David Amber from Hockey Night in Canada coming up in a little bit. Um, Seaball says coming up momentarily as well. Man, we talk about the heat and the pressure going on uh, across uh, the National Hockey League in this short season. Uh, some people think there might be a little more flexibility. We've talked about Leon Dreisaitl getting testy. How about Mark Bergevin getting testy with a reporter yesterday in Montreal? How about this? You have defended Kerry a lot in the past when he's received criticism and, and, and you've, you've expressed your belief in him. Do you, do you think that there needs to be an increase in his level of accountability for the way he performs? Where do you see there is no accountability here? That's why I'm not saying there's no accountability. I'm just asking if you think he needs to have more accountability for what. Well, he has accountability. He's, he's, you know, every players, if it's Carey, if it's Ben Sherratt, Shea Weber, Phil Deneau, Brendan Gallagher, they're all responsible for their performance. That's on them. Every one of them. My job is to provide them the best tool I can for them to have success. But at the end of the day, it's on the players to perform. And if they don't perform, then that's where I come in and try to help. Okay. Am I being clear? Is that good enough for you? Everybody feeling it these days, right? <laughs> Gary Price, obviously the Habs firing Claude Julian last week. Uh, you know, are the Habs being, too, are they coddling Gary Price? Um, Mark Bergevin taking issue with that, I guess. Yeah, I, I would have, I would have followed up with Bergevin being accountable for his hair because there, there's something that's not there. <laughs> the fact is, James, and it'll be interesting. David Amber will join us from Hockey Night in Canada on the other side. Uh, you know, you and I, we try and watch a lot of hockey. So that means, you know, not just the Canadian teams, but, you know, there's no break. Mark Bergevin isn't taking off to Columbus for two days to play the Blue Jackets and then going to another market where he's not going to be peppered with questions. 
So, I mean, the heat is completely on every team, every coach, every night here in Canada. I mean, I can't think of, and David will have that answer, when you turn on a Hockey Night in Canada telecast where you're showing an awful lot of highlights of the other games. Yeah, you go by. Last night you watched a little Washington, Boston, Char returns to Boston. But, man, there is no break for these guys. And if you're not playing well, you're going to take some heat. Carey Price has taken it. I, I don't think Carey Price is, is not accountable. It's not like Carey Price disappears and, and pockets his $10 million. But, yeah, it's, it's funny. Testy Dave Tippett was testy last night after the loss. You know, the only team that can have a beer and put their feet up right now are coming to town and hanging out. And, and that's pissing everybody else off because it's the Toronto Maple Leafs. So it's, it's that kind of time. It's the heat of the Canadian division. We knew we would get it, and it's a lot of fun. All right, let's get into today's edition of Seaball Says. You know, I was like to take this opportunity to talk about myself. Seaball Says on Sportsnet 650. Well, this isn't rocket science. It's not a crazy take. This is simply being a little obvious, like Captain Obvious. But you know what? It's needed. It's time to ride Thatcher Demko. Time to find out what you've got. It's Demko time. The math isn't good for the Canucks right now. They essentially need to win out two of every three games they have to play to even have a shot at the playoffs. And quite frankly, you need to find out what you've got in Thatcher Demko with him being a pending restricted free agent. You know, the forgotten important RFA, if you will, behind Pedersen and Hughes. Canucks bought themselves a lemon, it seems, in Braden Holtby. Or as some have dubbed him on our Dunbar Lumber text line, hole in the net B. It's a move I can't really hammer Jim Benning on because at the time I really liked the play bringing Braden Holtby here. But as we near the midway mark of this season, it's a total miss. The former Vesna and Cup winner hasn't been able to regain his form under the goalie whisperer Ian Clark. Bubble Demko hasn't exactly returned, but he's improved steadily since a shaky start to the year. His save percentage sits at around 920 over the last dozen starts, and he's given up more than two goals just once in the last four outings. While many of you are screaming that Demko should have started on Tuesday night and play back-to-back nights, I was still okay with Demko sitting for Holtby on this one. In the midst of a stretch of 13 games in 24 days, it's a long-term play here for this organization with Demko, or at least the hope certainly is. This is essentially a playoff race for the Canucks, though, from here on in. Allow him the chance to run for the next while but utilizing the buffer of Holtby to prevent him from burning out. Demko needs to play, but it's his first conceivable run now as a starter in the National Hockey League. It's a great time to determine what you got, to evaluate what you want to commit to the 25-year-old SoCal kid. Because here's the reality. The Canucks need to come up with a dollar and a term that does not align with Pedersen and Hughes contracts. It needs to be staggered so Vancouver never has to deal with three critical contracts all expiring at the same time like it's going to this summer. Bubble Demko might be so 2020, but it's time to ride the horse and see what you've got. While there's still a built-in sense of urgency in this season, you can't manufacture that. Do it now before it's too late. And that's not too far away. That's this morning, Seaball says. He is the most important piece of a losing season. Because, you know, you could talk about the future of this team. But, it, you know, if you had two options this year, going, okay, it's going to be a bad year, but Jake Vertanen is going to be on pace for 30 goals, or Thatcher Demko is going to be a, a proven NHL goalie, you, you want Thatcher Demko. You know, you're done with Jake. That's over. That would have been a nice win. 
um, didn't work out. And people texting on you want to talk about the bad losses. That's the signing of, of Vertanen. But Thatcher Demko to prove that he can play in the NHL um, is the biggest answer they needed this year if they weren't going to be a postseason team. Because there's a lot of looking. I mean, just last night in, in Edmonton, oh, we're still not sure. They've solved the problem in Calgary, they hope, but it's going to be very, very costly. They seem to have solved the problem defensively in Toronto as far as a backup. The team's playing good enough. If you don't have Thatcher Demko, man, there's some serious issues going, now what? He's not a guy we trust. Hope he's on the end of it. We're looking all over the place. That becomes a search spotlight that this franchise doesn't need. If you can nail down Demko and he proves it. And I think, James, he, he is trending that way. Uh, uh, the mistake was you needed to play Thatcher Demko two nights ago. They didn't do that, but he's trending that way, and that can be the biggest win in a season that looks like it could be a complete loss. Like I said, it's not a, you know, this isn't, a, you know, a crazy <laughs> outside-the-box no, take here, and I, I think it's just stating the obvious here, but you know what? you got to find out what you got, and you know what? Here's the thing, Pear. You can't manufacture desperation or urgency this is where you have an opportunity to create that. You, you've got that already built in because time is of the essence for this Canucks team to try to do something here. It's unrealistic, but you know what? Put Thatcher Demko in, realizing, hey, man, we need to win these games here. Let's see what you got. The disappointing part of it, James, is this should have been the mantra of the coaching staff, I think, about a week ago, right? I mean, you look at the numbers in the last eight games that Hopi's put up, and you're going, why are you still in this Mm, yes, no, let's share the net. You know, we debated quite often as to who was actually the starting goalie in this hockey team before the season started. Some said, hey, it's Holpe's because of the resume. And going, well, but Holpe's not the guy you're planning on, on one day chasing a Stanley Cup with. Don't you give it to Thatcher Demko? I think Corey Hurst said, no, it's a sign of respect. You give it to Holpe to start, see if Demko can take it away. I think Demko took it away about three weeks ago, yet the organization and the coaching staff was still going, no, Let's go back and forth. You have no time for back and forth anymore. It's one guy, and it's one guy, and play him until you go, okay, you're too tired. You know, if, if he's playing poorly, you go back to Holpe. But I completely agree. It's got to be Demko's. It should have been a couple weeks ago, and let's see what you have. And if he is good enough and can handle it, boy, that's a tough, tough pill to swallow and go, talk to Buffalo, talk to Philadelphia, talk to teams that have always been searching for a goalie. If you found it in Vancouver, Boy, is that a cornerstone that you can tie yourself into for the next five or six years. Dave Amber joining us from Hockey Night in Canada coming up just after 7 o'clock. It is game day between the Canucks and the Leafs. Pre-game show starts at 5. Uh, puck drop with Batch and Hershey coming your way at 7 o'clock. Uh, what have we got coming up next, my friend? Oh, finally, the post-game interview you needed. The ultimate <laughs> pass throwing. Super Bowl trophy over water by a drunken quarterback. We hear from Tom Brady. That's not P.S. It's all P.S. ahead on the game day at Sportsnet 650. He always tries to be ahead of the game. Harry was in front. Finding stories that matter. Sort of. We call B.S. You want it. I want the truth. It's not B.S. Just P.S. With Perry Solkowski. A lot of little things going on in the world of sports. We think we bring them to you. We do it in the form of P.S. Hey, he finally did that interview. Tom Brady, the old swashbuckled quarterback, talking for the first time since the Super Bowl boat prayed and about throwing the Lombardi trophy over the water. First of all, I was not thinking at that moment. There was not a thought. 
it was this seems like really fun to do and um not to mention when you get your hands on one of those trophies there are a lot of really sharp edges on the bottom you know yeah. where the stand is obviously the ball is what it is but and then i found out later that had they had that been an incomplete pass that would have went down like 80 feet oh, you're um, never seeing it again so uh, that's Brady on James Gordon's talk show. Uh, he mentions that if you, you you watch the video again and again, the only audio you hear is some going, no, no. James Brady going, yeah, that was my eight-year-old daughter. She was the only one with the voice of reason that entire afternoon. But good on him, man. He laughed about it. He mocked it. And he became more popular because of that Super Bowl win and that, that boat parade performance. Wouldn't that segment have been so much better if you had buckled Tom Brady doing carpool karaoke? Oh, yeah. Hey, for the first time ever, Brady fans would go, hey, man, he's, he was kind of like me that night. Uh, P.S. Let's give some credit to Bill Guerin and the Minnesota Wild for not standing pat. Man, I was happy with myself when I thought of the song Cat Scratch Fever. When you're talking about the Wild and a scratch, they scratched Zach Parisi last night against Vegas. It didn't work out. They lost. But here's the reason. Although they wouldn't say it from a Dean Evanson coaching standpoint, Parisi said, hey, the reason I was scratched, we had the one goal lead the other night. I stayed out longer on my shift. I was trying to get Felino the goal to have his first ever hat trick. Legs were tired. Vegas pulls the goalie and scores. We end up losing. All right. All right, Zach. You've made a lot of money, and, yeah, this doesn't happen to you. For the second time in his entire career, they make a stand and Parisi watches. I like the move for management. Well, you've got four more years after this. That's $7.5 million on an AAV. Those contracts looked ominous when they were signed, right the what, eight years ago, uh, nine years ago, and they still look ominous now. Although I would say this, Ryan Suter's doesn't seem as bad, but Parise's 36 and you got four more years at 7.5. You know, Louis Erickson, for all the people that hate his contract, Zach Parisi, hold my beer. Oh, and, and you're right. When those deals were signed, you go, wow, really? But play the old hometown card. That's what happened for them in Minnesota. Hey, uh, Candace Parker, giving it to Shaq the other night on the TNT NBA halftime show. Are we ever going to go back to where we man up and pre-rotate and no. show and get back? It's not the game today. Okay. Two good shooters. Nuggets won tonight by everybody's 31. Everybody's not too good of a shooter, Candace. Stop you it. said nobody on the court. I, I didn't. I, I said everybody's not shooting like that. It's only a couple teams that shoot tonight. Out. Don't don't look at him. Everybody's not shooting a high percentage from three, Candace. Well, okay, so are we saying everybody that. in general? Or are you we just saying the majority? You just said on the Nuggets. If you pre rotate, they're gonna kill you from the corner three. What did they shoot from the three? Really? They shot 11 of 30. So they shot 36. percent This is an off night. Yeah, Shaq giving it to the big, Shaq taking it, Candace Parker giving it to the big man who, you know what, I think is so busy with other things, just kind of shows up and is Shaq. By the way, and we got to talk more about this, great job last night with Irving Magic Johnson for you. Shaq might not have been that easy. Magic was the real deal with you last night on the JCC banquet. Man, that was without question uh, one of the legitimate career highlights for me to kind of have just a half hour conversation of my own like the best zoom call ever uh with yes. uh, magic johnson a virtual uh, jcc sports dinner gala last night sold out thanks so much for everybody for taking part um and and 
you know what? We should find time. We should find time later on for where Magic Johnson tells the story oh, of for sure. Michael Jackson, where he was in a Michael Jackson video, but the whole meeting with Michael Jackson and Magic Johnson, uh, it, it's a great story. We will share it uh, before we kind of wrap things up later on this morning. By the way, did you see Shaq last night also went through a table? You know, you know, I love to bring it back to wrestling. Shaq went through yes. a table last night on uh, AEW last night. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, with Shaq and with Barkley, right? They play the game now, name name this guy's first name. It's uh, They're characters, right? And I, I think for the longest time, TNT, the halftime show, has been absolutely fantastic. But Candace Parker knows her stuff, deserves it. I, yeah. I love the fact, all right, this is how they play the game right now. And it's it's different from how Shaq played it. You had asked Magic, too, could you play in the NBA now? He said, yeah, I, you know, I'd, I'd be a passer. Leave yeah. it at that. The game is played differently when he shows up. That's, uh, that's no BS, everybody. That's just a PS on a game day on this Thursday morning. Six minutes to uh, 7 o'clock. Uh, Canucks and the Leafs will dive into it with Hockey Night in Canada's Dave Amber. Plus, we've been asking you this morning, a lot of people jumping in on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. You know, we hammered Jim Benning a lot. We're asking you this morning, what's one move that you can say, I told you so, they should have never gone down that road, and what's one move that you thought, eh, I like this move, and you totally got wrong? Love to hear from you. A lot of submissions coming in already. We've shared ours. We'll continue to hear from you as well. It's game day here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Let's get it going. It's time to get up. Back to back for us after, you know, a great successful series like this. And they're sitting in Vancouver waiting for us. Clearly, we won't catch them off guard. They'll be very much ready. And it's going to be a, a great challenge for us here to turn the page quickly on this and, and move on to a, to a different opponent. These guys are here to break it all down. Does it add to the frustration that you guys uh, really didn't uh, hold up your end of the bargain? No, we love that. We love going without a point in, in three days for sure. Great. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. I'm going back to bed. See you guys. This is the starting lineup. Here's James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski. Two minutes after 7 o'clock, Dave Amber from Hockey Night in Canada will join us uh, coming up in just a few minutes as it is game day in the city. Uh, 12 hours from puck drop here as the Canucks and the Leafs get set to collide at Rogers Arena. The, uh, the cream of the crop, if you will, of the North Division. Fair or foul, pair. This country will get behind a Leaf Stanley Cup win. Well, um, what percentage of the country? I think more people, if it's not your local team, would embrace a Montreal Stanley Cup win more than they would Toronto. I think because of where the, the center of the universe is never Montreal, um, you can really pick and choose when you go back to the original six. I would personally rather see a Montreal Canadian team win. I want a Canadian team to win, but if it can't be a local team, I would say easier for me to take a Montreal Canadian team where I would say the fans are a little classier than uh, the brash Toronto fans that are just going to be licking their chops, have been on the text line. Leafs, it's all about the Leafs, and certainly there's the Vancouver cans with the pushback. So, no, that's wrong. You're, you're wrong. No, Toronto's no, never Canada's team. I think they would. I think it would be a massive. I think it would be a massive celebration, and uh, just the, the size of the fan base across the country. Case in point, you know, when there's under normal circumstances, when fans are in the stands, you got half the arena packed with Leaf fans. And I and for you to suggest the Habs, because this is a generational thing for some people. You know, I, I'm I'm empathetic towards the Habs nowadays. I never thought I would see the day where I would empathize with the Habs and their fans because. 
they like the Habs fans and the Montreal Canadiens were man. I there was no team I hated more than the Montreal Canadiens growing up, and the fan mm-hmm. base is annoying because they always won. Like generationally, it has gone. It has gone for a lot of Canadian hockey fans. Habs fans were the most annoying for a long time. Then Leafs fans kind of became annoying. It was like, oh, we want to play up round. We're going to the cup, you know. And it, it, like that would be kind of the Leafs in the in the '90s, early 2000s. And then probably 10 years ago, you know, Canucks fans kind of became the annoying fan across the country for a lot of people outside of Vancouver, right? Where now everybody, nobody's won. It's been almost 30 years since the Canadian teams won the Stanley Cup, so there's almost like a sympathy boat for a lot of people across the country. Uh, but the Habs, man, don't tell me. Like, I hated the Habs as a kid. Generationally, they were they were the obnoxious because they were always winning. They always had the star players, and they never went too long without a Stanley Cup. Now, I'm empathetic towards them now because they've been essentially neutered the last 30 years. But come on, don't tell me you didn't hate the Montreal Canadiens as a kid. I absolutely hated him. I felt like I owed Guy Lafleur an apology the first time as a broadcaster I got to meet him, and he was the nicest guy. That's honestly like, geez, I'd like to apologize for a seven-year-old seven to uh, you were on my six, dartboard, year Perry. Yeah, I hated your guts, Guy. I hated your guts. Didn't like you. Didn't think you could skate well. Your shot. I, I didn't like you. And I had a Leafs jersey. But now I do think because. You know, the way the, the sports market is and everything comes from Toronto, I think people are just tired of the Leafs. Get on board for the Raptors. That was fun. Get on board for the Blue Jays. They are Canada's team. But I think people have this attitude. Yeah, so that means the Leafs are Canada's team. No, they're not. We enjoy when the Leafs suffer. They've played good hockey. It'll be fun to watch them tonight. But I think collectively as a whole, the country, if they said, who do you want to win the Stanley Cup? would go, yeah, okay, if it's not my local team, can it be Montreal more so than Toronto? I don't think it's a celebration. Cars honking all over the place if the Leafs win a Stanley Cup. <laughs> 650, 650, uh, the Dunbar-Lumber text line. Always uh, welcome the conversation. Uh, uh, Dave from Abbotsford, uh, yes to any Canadian team to win the Cup, but will never, sure. ever will I cheer for the Leafs. Don't forget 2010 when Toronto media told everyone, don't cheer for the Canucks. They are not Canada's team. Leafs will blow it in the playoffs. We all know this. I, who, which, I mean, the Toronto media told, I, man, really? I don't think I remember that. I mean, maybe there was a columnist or two, but, like, one person does not represent the entire sort of perspective from one media market. Uh, Dave Amber from Hockey Night in Canada. Dave, come on, man. Like, you know, you were there around the same time. I was there. I don't remember people saying don't cheer for. I think there were a lot of people that were on board with the Canucks in the Stanley Cup final. I mean, the Canucks were a polarizing team, but I don't think people hated them in Toronto at the time. Um, I, I think it's divided. I think I think polarizing is the best word. I mean, there were some unlikable characters from a from a national perspective on that team. Yep. Um, yep. But at the same time, I mean, I, I've always been of the mind. You know, when the when the Canadians won the Cup in 1993, it was almost like, well, it's the annual tradition. A Canadian team wins the Cup, right? We just come off that long stretch of, of Edmonton's dominance and Calgary mixed a Cup in in there, and then the, the Canadians won a Cup. And it was just kind of considered like, oh, yeah, well, every couple of years, a Canadian-based team will win the Stanley Cup. And what are we on now? So 1993, we're talking, what, 28 uh, years 20. and counting, right? Like, I mean... It's getting kind of crazy now. Um, so I, I'm, I think that narrative is, has shifted a bit. And certainly by 2011, when the Canucks were on that epic run, I was of the mind like, hey, let's have a Canadian-based team win the Cup. I think it would be yeah. pretty cool. 
And and now we're another seven years past that, or not even seven years, another ten years past that. So I'm very much uh, I've I've been in that in that court for a long time, guys. Like any Canadian team, like I think it'd be pretty cool. We're we're ready for it at this point. Yeah, and I think we saw that actually in the playoff bubble. I I didn't get the sense and. Dave, you would have a better feel. I think there were a lot of people that liked the makeup of this Canucks team and said, hey, man, that's, that's, the, that's a young team that's getting it done. And whether you were living in Winnipeg or Toronto and Halifax, you were buying into what they're doing. Um, let me ask you this. I mean, all we've seen is a lot of Canadian hockey teams, and that's what we've loved about it. Do you think we're skewed? Are the Leafs just that much better? Or do you think they're beating up on some teams that maybe aren't as good as we thought they would be in this division? Uh, I mean, it's really hard to have a proper barometer in this current system. But what I will say is, I, I mean, I think the Canadian team, the Canadian division, still has some good teams in it. And sometimes it's it's just matchups, right? Sometimes it's how a team matches up, you know, specifically against another team. Uh, I listen. I think the Leafs are a good team. You know, are they ready for the Tampa's and Vegas's and Colorado's and St. Louis's and Boston's and Washington's of the world? I don't know. We won't know. And that's sort of part of the intrigue of this whole thing. But when I look at the Jets team, I look at the Habs and, you know, and I've been, you know, I've been pretty steady holding out hope for a Canucks revival to, to show a little bit of what they had last year. I'm not as optimistic about that at this point because it's just been a rough few weeks for them. But uh, I still think there's a ton of talent in this in this North Division. I think there's some good quality hockey teams. So I don't think it's all smoke and mirrors. I don't think it's the Leafs beating up on a bunch of crappy teams. I, I think the Leafs are a very good team. Uh, and I think there's still some good competitive hockey to be played in this Canadian division. And, and don't sleep on these teams just yet. Uh, you look at – man, it's funny, though, to see how – the pushback from a lot like is it just a case that even in an unconventional season whether this is all people have to cling to for their escape right now is hockey but you know listen to Leon Dreisaitl last night getting salty Mm -hmm. with members of the media Mark Bergevin getting testy with the media yesterday we saw Jacob Voracek earlier this season going off um, it uh, seems like salty is the new hockey, uh, you know, with guys like, you know, clearly the pressure's on even in a 56 game season here this year, uh, Dave. Yeah. You know what? The pressure's on, but I, I actually, I don't mind what dry did. And, and what I mean is I think we, we hold, we're, our whole job is holding people accountable. Our whole job is to point out problems and why didn't they do that and ask those questions. I think when you start the question out with, wow, you guys didn't hold up your end of the bargain. That must be crappy. I mean, where's dry subtle to go with that? Really? I mean, you know, it doesn't take uh, Edward R. Murrow. You don't need to be uh, the, the greatest journalist in the world to kind of understand what a, what a, a framing of a question, what kind of answer you're going to, going to solicit from, from the interviewee. Right. Like I, I just think, I think it's incumbent on us to not be lazy in our, in our questions and, you know, to me, it's like, well, what, Leon, what happened? Why couldn't, why weren't you guys effective? Like, let him shed some light on what the Leafs were doing or what the inability of the Oilers, you know, what their problems were, as opposed to say, wow, that must have really sucked. You guys stunk. You know, I just, I, I think part of it, I don't mind when, when the athletes hold us accountable because I think we should be held to the same level of accountability that we're holding them to. So I had no problem with that. Um, certainly there's a, a lot of pressure. These guys take a lot of pride in what they do, all the athletes do. And you don't get to be in the National Hockey League uh, without understanding sort of what's part of the deal, right? I mean, 
we just see that. I, I can only imagine, especially like in Vancouver, coming off that great season last year, it's been sort of this pressure cooker, I imagine, since day one, right? And it just continues to grow, and it, it's a difficult situation. And we have all the rights in the world to ask these guys the tough questions, but if they're not framed properly and it's, you know, a sense lazy journalism, then you're going to uh, get years coming back to you as well, and we've all been on that end of it. He is David Amber of Hockey Night in Canada, joining the starting lineup, Perry Solkowski, James Zabalski. And, and David, I think to that end, uh, you're right. I mean, it's not like it's difficult to figure out the pressure that's been here in Vancouver, and these guys have been taking a lot of heat to that end. Don't you think, because it's been such a smooth ride for the Maple Leafs, that that is why their confidence is at an all-time high? In the pressure cooker that is Toronto, they're going, yeah, we actually haven't had any slip-ups. Everyone's playing fun hockey, right? That's, that's simply what they're doing right now. It's funny, Perry, because, you know, everyone in this marketplace has seen so much through the years. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, they blew a 5-1 lead against the Ottawa Senators on home ice in the third period, right? <laughs> or, sorry, it was 5-2, actually, but it was a 5-1 lead. They scored with the, the final minute of period two, and then they, they ended up winning in overtime. And around here, right away, people are like, hmm, uh-oh, is this it? Is this where the Leafs come back to earth? And then they rebounded, and they've, they've righted the ship, and everything's been smooth sailing i wonder i wonder if in the back of sheldon keith's mind and kyle dubas and brennan shanahan's mind i wonder if they they want a little bit of adversity and they've had some i mean freddie anderson's missed some games austin matthews missed some games joe thornton was out with a broken rib wayne simmons is out they've they've had a few injuries but it seems like they've been able to just sort of take that next man up mentality. But I'm interested to know, because you guys remember two years ago, Tampa had that epic run, right? They were, had the fourth most points in NHL mm-hmm. history, right? And then what happened? They got swept in the first round by Columbus. I, I'm wondering if a little bit of adversity along the way wouldn't be a bad thing uh, for any of the teams, including the Maple Leafs, to have a few setbacks and to sort of have to pick themselves up from the mat. So I'm, I'm, I think the next couple of months it's going to be really interesting because, you know, there's not going to be any free passes in the playoffs, right? Like, figure out what the matchups are going to be. And it could be, you know, against a very good Winnipeg team with, with Connor Hellebuck. Uh, it could be against Carey Price and the Montreal Canadiens. It could be against the McDavid, Dreisaitl. And we're just not sure how the matchups are going to work out. It's, there's going to be some level of pressure there automatically. But I think it wouldn't be bad to face a little adversity along the way over the next two months just to sort of be able to say, hey, we can, we can deal with it, you know? I feel you. I, I, get, I get where you're going. Where does the NHL go with uh, what we saw late last night for, for some people with uh, Nathan McKinnon and the hit from uh, Joaquin Blickfeld? Obviously, match penalty last night. Um, man, it, it's kind of tough to break down from a radio standpoint. But, man, this one... It, I'm all about protecting the stars, Dave, but this one doesn't feel as egregious as some people might think when you hand down a match penalty. Like this is, I, I wonder if what was already handed down as punishment might actually be okay. Well, full disclosure, I have not seen. I have not seen the hit. Uh, it was bad, though, based on what you're saying. So it was a match yeah. penalty. So Blickfeld catches uh, who was like who's not a dirty player, right? We're talking about a guy who was the Western Hockey League Player of the Year two years ago and, and yeah. played his first game last night and catches Nathan McKinnon at center ice, uh, kind of over the middle. And man, you you watch it, three different angles. Every angle almost gives you a different principal point of contact where. 
Uh, it looks like he catches the arm first before the chin in one. Uh, then the, from another angle, it looks like, oh, man, he totally just caught him in the head first. Uh, another one looks like he's kind of catching him in the shoulder first. Um, this is a tricky one for the NHL, but, man, like, I am a huge proponent of the stars sell, right? People want to see the stars shine. You want those guys on the ice. And, and Nate Dogg's probably, you know, he's he, right behind Connor McDavid. I, he's the second best player in the league, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. You have to have sort of an NFL-style system. You can't have the stars going out on questionable hits, and it can't be open season. The, the funniest thing I saw last night, guys, in, and I'm sorry I haven't seen that hit yet, um, that you're referring to, but I saw, I don't know if you saw Trent Frederick at one oh. point, uh, who, who's this great, young, vibrant kid, uh, plays in Boston, a rookie. He made a name for himself in the first week. He fought Tom Wilson and did quite well, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's made a name that he's not going to back down from anyone. And did you guys see what happened with him and OV last night? Yes. Ovi, Ovi, <laughs> Ovi went at him like he was opening up a garage door that was broken oh. on his hockey stick. Yeah. But, but did you see what? Do you see the precursor to that? The precursor to that was uh, uh, in the second period. Uh, they they banged up against the boards, and you know Ov kind of gives them a shot. You know, guys bang up against boards, and Ov kind of gives them a swipe with his glove. Frederick drops his gloves right away, grabs Ov by the, the sort of the collar, and Ov's just Ov's got his gloves on. He's holding his stick, and he's kind of looking at him, saying, "What are you doing? Who are you? Like, I'm not going to fight you." And so then Frederick yeah. picks up his gloves and play continues. It's very funny. <laughs> and then in the third period, as or maybe it was later in the second period, exactly as you described, uh, you know, Frederick gives him a couple of couple of uh, cross checks, trying to goad him into a fight. It looked like, and then Ovidas does the old, you know, uh, well, however you want to describe. He, he it. took him so, to the uh, Nooksack River and Casino. That's where he. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, say hello to my two little friends. Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, it was unpleasant. But it's funny to me, and I I tweeted out, like, you know, Trent Frederick, I love the guy. He's not backing down from anyone, but he's got to recognize the superstars in the league aren't going to be fighting Trent Frederick. That's not what they're there for, right? And it's funny that he was going after OV in such a a, a fashion. Um, uh, my dog's having a freak out. Um, uh, disagreeing with your take right. there, Dave. Clearly doesn't yeah. agree with your take. <laughs> yeah, she's not like my take at all. But um, it was uh, it was funny that he was going after Ov in such such a fashion. There, because I'm thinking that the superstars aren't going to fight. They're not going to engage on that level. Uh, you know, with with pedestrian civilians in the league like a uh, Trent Frederick. So it was really funny to me. And, but you're right. That's something that the NHL is going to have to police is, is how they deal with the superstars and, and keeping them healthy and in the game. I'm guessing your dog's a male because anytime that's the conversation, it, it kind of gets to dogs too with, with what Ovi did. By the way, Ovi fined $5,000 in the last hour uh, for what he well, did to Trent Frederick. So. Yeah, I thought he might even get a game, but, but there you go. That's it. I think you want to keep Ovi in the league. Uh, at the same time, he can't protect be the stars, Dave. See, only five thousand yeah. dollars. Keep him on the ice. <laughs> hit him, yeah, well, hit only, him in the junk, but only, it's only five k. <laughs> yeah, twenty five hundred per. Right, so. <laughs> well played, buddy. Uh, thanks for this as always. Nice to catch up, and uh, you got a busy one uh, coming up this weekend, uh, and an early start for the Leafs and uh, the Leafs and Canucks as well. Yeah, no, it's going to be a lot of fun. Tonight Tonight should actually be really interesting, and I really am hopeful for the Canucks maybe take advantage of a, a Leafs team, you know, riding this high, but uh, getting, a, I imagine, a backup goalie and, and having to travel and everything else. So we'll see what happens tonight. Enjoy the game, guys. Thank you. Thank there you, Dave. Is.
David Amber from Hockey Night in Canada weighing in uh, on uh, around the National Hockey League and uh, where this Toronto Maple Leafs team is just clicking on all cylinders uh, right now. Over 250 minutes played in the last little stretch here, Pear, and they've allowed just two goals. Like, we talk all about, man, Austin Matthews and what he's done offensively this season and Mitch Marner and what he's doing. Uh, you know, John, John Tavares, you know, the only other guy who's probably close to a point-a-game player right now in the NHL next to JT Miller that takes as much criticism as JT Miller. And yet, you know, for all the warts, they talk about, oh, JT's not fast enough anymore. L- look at the least producing, right? Like they continue to but, drive numbers, but they're doing it defensively this season, Pear. That's the did, difference did, with this team. You know, the big difference, Dave's bringing up that Tampa Bay team that had that incredible regular season and gets ousted by Columbus. They were better than everybody in the league because that's who they had to play. Like right now, the Leafs are better than six teams. So that's going to be, it's going to be a fascinating playoffs if they get through to go, okay, so how did we stack up against those divisions in the States? So yeah, even if they have a stumble, I think that's great, but it's against the same six teams. You don't know how much better you are or worse you are than the best in the other divisions. So I think it's tough to compare it to Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay knew they were the best team in the NHL. The Leafs just know they're the best of seven teams that play up North. See how it plays out. A uh, lot of people on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650 uh, weighing in on our uh, whether you could get behind a Leaf run. A lot of people saying um, not so much. Uh, Jeff and Mission uh, saying, uh, hey, um, Leaf fans better be careful. They're due for the annual three-month-into-the-season collapse soon. That's Jeff from Mission, who also said he was on a uh, peanut-free diet last night as well. So, um Thanks, Jeff, for uh, sharing oh, that. He's giving, Jeff's giving us updates. <laughs> uh, Sonia Aslam from News 1130 just down the hall. Salty Sonia, Angst Aslam, all the nicknames. I don't uh, like these getting. nicknames. I need new nicknames. I need nicer nicknames. Well, we'll find one that hits. Salty okay. Sonia works. No, it doesn't. I don't hey, like that. Hey, before you give us a doom and gloom story oh here, because gosh. that's how newsrooms roll, can I just, like, Pat myself on the back for checking out like the most amazing sunrise this morning in Boundary Bay that, oh man, what a gorgeous sunrise across the lower mainland this morning. Yeah, it's stunning. It's like a nice pink shade and yeah. oh, it's just so beautiful. There we go. Yeah, that okay. would explain what, why What, what bad news do you got ago. for us now? Uh, on what front? You... <laughs> what What's going on with the guy with the Vancouver uh, Symphony Orchestra on a Juno Award? Yeah, so he's no longer with the VSO. This is a guy who I'm not sure if everyone uh, was on YouTube watching the Flat Earth channel because that's the channel that this uh, live stream was on. Uh, he was uh, He's a jazz pianist. He's a uh, seven-time... <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. He's a seven-time... I'm immature. <laughs> he's a seven-time uh, Juno Award nominee, and he's no longer with, this, with the orchestra because he held a large gathering, meaning more than... Uh, six people in his bubble. There was about 14 people there. None of them were were wearing masks. They are a part of a mm-hmm. uh, flat earth society group believer situation. And he live streamed his whole gathering. And then two weeks later, and we broke the story. It was News 1130 that we found the video. It was being shared on some dark parts of the web. And we took it to the VSO. And they were like, oh, that's not right. Um, we'll just not talk about this. And now they're like, yeah, he's done. And we've tried to get a hold of wow. him. He's just, he's stopped talking. He's touring with Mark Donnelly. Oh, burn. And Kyrie Irving. Burn. Yeah. Kyrie Irving. <laughs> yes. but Flat like, earthers. It's one thing if you do a gathering, you don't live stream it and then talk about it and brag about it like it's cool. You're going to get ticketed, which he did, and then you're going to get in trouble. And in this case, Buddy lost his job. 
Aslam, uh, there there is a lot of there's been talk. I mean, the Western Hockey League is going to get up and running. Uh, uh, I think at, later on this month, at least the BC teams they're allowed to go. Uh, other teams at other parts, uh, other provinces uh, already up and running. But uh, the BCHL they're looking for kind of a joint financial assist here from the Horgan government mm-hmm. in the tune of about just under ten million dollars for the Western Hockey League and the BCHL to kind of play out. Uh, a, a hybrid of the season, I guess, to get the kids up and running here. Is, yeah. Is, but it, but still no ruling on this yet? No, they haven't really given the money. And it's interesting because when you look at other provinces that are giving money, it's like, well, what's holding us back? Like, I know that Quebec has given, what, $12 million? Uh, Alberta's done, what, 10 or something, 11 million. So uh, Horgan's government has not made a decision on that right now. And we know that the opposition, the Liberals, uh, Shirley Bond was tweeting about it last night. Like, why don't we help out sports? Why are we not, if we have the money to spend, which obviously no one does because every government is, you know, so deep in the red. But if we are spending to help those who need it during this pandemic, sports is a big part of that. And we've yet to hear. So um, we are going to be following up on that today just to see where that stands but no you you guys are right they aren't getting the funding that they need right now which is unfortunate and uh tiger woods did they have to get permission to seek the black box in his vehicle when he rolled it over sounds like it yeah so the lapd confirms that they got a warrant to get access to sort of the data recorder data data recorder of his suv and so now they have it and they're going through it and they need to find out what happened because they we, we've said before that all the tests show he was completely sober. And so no drugs, there's no alcohol in his system to have caused last week's crash. Um, was it fatigue? Was it a mechanical issue? Was it something else? Was it that stretch of road that we know is known for a lot of crashes? So now they're going to go through that and we don't expect results from that for at least oh, probably a couple of weeks at least. But what happened? We don't know. All the good news. Hey, I'm trying. <laughs> hey, I've I've given pitches of doing lighter things like cereal, and you guys just won't go there. You mean, mm-hmm. yeah. We'll go there. We got it. Hey, we got into it yesterday. We got text after our conversation yesterday. People on the self-serve side of things or, uh, you know, full fill-up. The, of thing. the hands-on so approach to the pandemic. Hands-on, hands-off. You yeah. bet. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's good. That's good. Thanks, Haslam. Thanks, boys. Peace out. Cue the music. There she is, uh, Sonia Aslam, uh, weighing in from News 1130 on what's going on in the world this morning. It is 26 minutes after 7 o'clock. Your Canucks commute with Ian McIntyre happening just after 8. Dunbar Lumber text line, always welcome the debate and the discussion and a lot of people jumping in uh, with what we've been talking about this morning. Uh, we'll get to that at 650-650. And also a uh, sort of a monumental trade going down on this day in Canucks history. We'll give you the details next right here on your home of the Canucks. It's game day here on Sportsnet 650. And then Ovi just does the old, you know, uh, well, however you want to describe it. He, he took him to the Nooksack River and Casino. That's where he, uh... <laughs> yeah, say hello to my two little friends. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Ovechkin and Trent Frederick. Hello, guys. Oh! Oh! Ah! I cry! Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Five thousand uh, dollars out of Ovi's pocket, and I guess a reminder to kids: make sure you're wearing your jock on a nightly basis. Well, at least at least he can dig it out of his pocket. Where I don't know if Frederick can do that this morning. Uh, what, 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 when you say digging out of pocket, what do you? Yeah, I'm not going to? there. Okay. As Amber said, twenty five hundred each. Ouch. 
Uh, it is game day in the city. Canucks and the Leafs uh, pregame show starts here on Sportsnet 650 coming your way at 5 o'clock. I wonder if Earl in Mission will have anything for an encore uh, later on tonight after the game when uh, puck drops with Batch and Hershey coming your way at uh, 7 o'clock tonight. Uh, hey, look, the Leafs are on fire right now. And, and, and remarkable to see what they've done here, Pear. Um, points in 20 out of 24 games and uh, 18 of those wins by the way they've almost got double the point total of the Vancouver Canucks uh, the Leafs already with 38 points on the season and the Canucks uh, with 20 uh, they're a good hockey team and they win when they're poor and they have somehow committed to playing team defense and it hasn't mattered who's been a goal for them and you heard Leon Dreisaitl who who was bitter and fair enough I don't think the question but Rob Tchaikovsky was worded very well for Dreisaitl. But, you know, arguably two of the best players in the world, at least two of the top five players in the world, did nothing against a Toronto team that was minus in a couple of games their top goalie, minus their superstar for a few. Uh, they were completely shut down. And, you know, I, I just think confidence is such a thing. And this will be the biggest mismatch of confidence because the Leafs are sky high, tired or not, and the Canucks are still trying to find it, saying the same answers that they've been saying for for two months, performing okay, not getting results. Who knows? The only thing, as you try and find a positive, I think it might have been exactly a week ago when Calgary is absolutely in a dumpster fire. They're going to Toronto, and all of a sudden you find out and Markstrom's not playing, this is going to get ugly, um, and somehow, some way, the Flames found a way to win. Uh, I don't think expectations are high outside of the Canucks dressing room tonight. We'll see what kind of performance they come up with. Uh, it was on this day seven years ago, yes. Perry, that uh, a, 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 I don't want to call it, I want to call it a where were you moment, but it was the end of an era on this day in 2014. I thought my contract was untradeable, so I didn't, uh, obviously it was, it hurt that, uh, that I didn't play that game, but uh, at the same time, uh, you know, I was ready to play tonight. Uh, I had moved on and, and I was ready to go, so um, uh, I wasn't expecting this uh, to happen, especially not today. Roberto Luongo traded back to the Florida Panthers on this day, two days after the Heritage game at BC Place. And uh, Jacob Markstrom coming back this way. Sean Mathias mm -hmm. coming this way. A move that kind of was just sudden, out of nowhere, right? That just kind of, I don't want to say shocking, but it was definitely one that, oh, okay, it's like that. Wow. Well, it was a relationship that went sour for the entire nation to see. And, and the... You know, Luongo mentioning I wanted to play that game, but I was over it. I mean, it was the ultimate slap in the face when John Tortorella, and the game was, if you haven't you know, heard, we talked about it a couple days ago, it was the anniversary of the Heritage Classic. You got 54,000 people in BC Place. And why are they there? They're there because Vancouver was a great sports town in 2010. Vancouver was an incredible hockey town in 2011. You got to the Stanley Cup. Everybody loved the results of the Vancouver Canucks, the product they had on the ice. So, hey, let's give them that game in 2014. Luongo, a massive part of all that. If nothing, it's kind of like your Hall of Fame game. And John Tortorella decides that he lacks my guy. At that point, it was, uh, all right, how is this ever going to end? And I think it was a surprise, James, because it just happened so quick. You thought, you know, as Roberto said, I didn't think they could get me anywhere. 
I mean, all of a sudden they did. Uh, I remember that very well. You know, he's in he didn't want to be, he, but he didn't want to be here anymore. I, I Not think at he that certainly, point. I think he certainly felt like he had been slighted. Um, I think his heart wasn't here anymore by that point. Uh, he wanted out. Um, you know, the empire was crumbling, if you will, the Gillis regime, and you know this. I mean, that move, look, obviously there had been talk about it for a couple of years before that because of the whole, well, you know, we're going to go with Corey Schneider. And then it was like the contract was unmovable. And, well, here we are, what, seven years later, and, you know, there's a $3 million. Well, there's a $3 million recapture on that contract, not only this year, but for one more year next season as well, which is, you know, it's hurt the team in a big way this year, especially in a flat cap world, right? $3 million, like – Think about what $3 million could get you right now in the National Hockey League or where this team would be. You know, would the Canucks have been more open to the idea of Jacob Markstrom being here instead of Braden Holpe? Would they have gone with more term um, with Jacob Markstrom in the event had they had that $3 million to play with? Is Tyler Toffoli here if there was that $3 million to play with that Roberto Luongo left here? For sure. I mean, you, you look at the Leafs, they got four guys that make more than $3 million. Yeah, Kerfoot's at three and a half, But everybody else that plays up front is under $3 million, right? Guys who are contributors. For $3 million, money well spent, that's a guy who is a big part of your hockey team, either on the blue line or helping out maybe in a, in a top six role. I mean, there's a lot of wasted $3 million on the Vancouver Canucks, but that's money that certainly can help out a team. And uh, it is hurting you. And you are trying to scratch and claw for every penny and how you can use it. Luongo comes back. It was the end of an era. I, I think a lot of people waited till the Sedins left. But really, Roberto's move was time to move on. And then I think what derailed everything was all of a sudden in 2015, you find yourself in a playoff and you kind of question, well, what are we? Where they should have probably started building up towards the future after Luongo. But seven years ago in Arizona in a hotel lobby, uh, IMAC will join us at 8 o'clock. I would imagine he was on that road trip. Kind of took everybody by shock. Okay, he's gone. Okay, so uh, we were asking this morning, fair or foul, you know, Canada will get behind uh, Toronto Maple Leaf Stanley Cup run. Uh, a lot of people jumping in on this on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650 pair. Uh, how about the East Van Tommy says, I grew up in the 70s and everybody outside of Quebec hated the Habs. They don't need any more cups. If the Canucks are out of it, which they are, I would cheer for the Jets, who, like the Canucks, have never won a Stanley Cup. Uh, here's John in Kamloops. I live here in the Loops, but my heart is in Ontario with the Leafs. Vancouver will never get anywhere close to where the Leafs are as far as Stanley Cups or history. There's John taking some shots this morning here from the Okanagan. So, uh, Rager, this conversation's stupid. No fan of a Canadian team should want another Canadian team to break the drought. I absolutely remember people in the East actively telling people not to cheer for the Canucks, and I was completely fine with it. It's crazy how we're talking 28 years since the last Canadian team won a Stanley Cup, and that was Montreal in 93. Before that pair, there was a stretch in an 18-year window where Canadian teams won 12 of those 18 Stanley Cups, with Montreal with six of those, the Oilers with five, and the Flames with one. Yeah, I disagree with Rager. I mean, you are a Canadian. I, I You know, you want your team to win, but honestly, as someone said, you've got Vegas and the Leafs in the Stanley Cup final. Are you really cheering for Vegas? Are you not just hoping? And I know so many people have texted, yes, the Stanley Cup spends an awful lot of time in Canada during the summer because the majority of the players on teams are Canadian. So I understand that. That's not the argument. But I would have a tough time if it's a Canadian team in a final against someone else 
not going to win it. Win it. Listen, it's just semantics. Yes, as we said, Canadians win the Stanley Cup every year. But I'd have a tough time, James. Wouldn't you go, yeah, it's Vegas. I want Vegas to win. Ah, give it to the Leafs. Give it to the Jets. Let Montreal win it. Let someone win it. Let Calgary win it. Give it to the Oilers again. I don't want an American team because if the American fans are going to go, it's us against them. They don't realize what's going on. It's like, you know, when I travel with the Whitecaps, they play the national anthem. I go, eh, you got about two guys on this Whitecap team that are Canadian. The other guys don't know the words to it, but it's an us against them. Uh, I'll vote for Trudeau before I cheer for the Leafs, Flames, or Oilers. That here on the Dunbar Lumberjacks line at 650-650. Jamie chiming in. If you guys think anyone that has been a hockey fan for years is jumping on that bandwagon with Leafs fans, you're nuts. Every year for me personally is cheering the Canucks, and after that, as long as the Leafs are gone, the season will end okay. I have a good poll question that would show the hatred for Canada's team if you could somehow weed out the most annoying fan base in the NHL. Would you watch the next three years if you knew the Leafs were going to win the next three Cups, if you knew the Canucks were going to win the season after, or something along those lines? So Jamie uh, suggesting that sort of poll idea. But he's not on the the idea of people jumping on board the Leafs bandwagon if they get to a Stanley Cup final. Boy, It'll be huge, man. man. It'll be huge if they do. Maybe we read it wrong. Maybe we're more compassionate than others. Jake's gone, man. I would cheer for planter warts on my foot before I would cheer for the Leafs. Uh, I, I just thought at some point you become, you're a Canadian. You're proud to be a Canadian. Uh, get it done. Cheer for them. Jake's in Port Moody. You know, in Port Moody growing up when we played sports and, and coaching my daughters. Uh, ABC. I go, what do you mean ABC? Anybody but Coquitlam. Oh, really? Yeah, no, you got to hate those guys, right? So I guess everybody has their targets, and right now it's like, no way. Anybody texting, the Leafs cannot win. I'm cheering for anybody else but the Leafs. Uh, Cultus Larry, Perry is right. It could handle any Canadian team winning except for Toronto. I won't watch that final. I don't want to see it. They can keep their center of the universe mentality. Oh, you'll watch it. You won't, you'll be forced to watch it, right? That's the thing. Um, because that's why people don't like Torontonians. You guys are such Torontonians. I've never lived in Toronto. Sign your text. James lived in Toronto briefly. We're not Torontonians. We represent the country. We've been here for decades. Uh, I, listen, I, you want to cheer for Canada. I, I argue this. The Jays, if someone goes, the Jays aren't Canada's team. Well, what other baseball team in Canada are you cheering for? They are. And the Raptors was a lot of fun a couple of years ago, James. You can everybody get on board. I don't think you see that kind of momentum towards the Leafs, and we're seeing it on the text line. You know, the tricky one with the Jays, and I think that speaks to a generational argument because the Mariners were the regional team here for a long time for a lot of people based on – I mean, you would have Jays and Expos games on here on TV way back when, but – you used to have games on, on local Seattle affiliates that for the Mariners games, but now all those Mariners games are on Root Sports in the U.S., uh, in the Seattle region and the Pacific Northwest in the U.S. So now it's essentially the regional market here from a television standpoint in baseball, it's the Toronto Blue Jays. You know, Sportsnet carries all 162 Jays games, you know, a handful of spring training games. You know, if you're essentially 30 and under, you know, you probably don't remember the Mariners being on around here. You know, maybe the odd rare game that might be picked up on a, on a sports channel up here. But for the most part, the Jays have become Canada's team from a regional broadcast standpoint. Like, you know, you go to most ball, but like if you go to most youth sports games, you know, especially in the summer baseball season, most kids, I would say, are wearing Jays caps. You know, yes, there's a smattering of other teams, but the Jays, there's a lot of love for the Jays here in this market. I, I, I'd still consider them Canada's team. 
I agree. I think uh, everyone's excited about what they're going to offer up. But the Leafs are not Canada's team. That we understand. That everyone Not right now, with. anyway. No, and if there's one team left and it's a Canadian team, I don't want it to be the Leafs. But if that's it, I'll cheer for them. I would only watch to see the Leafs choke again. That's Walt in Port Moody. Edge also in Port Moody. F that, Perry. I'm Canadian. I'm also a British Columbian that believes that we should hate all things Ontario. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> well, we're true to our form. Yes. Uh, someone's calling us Torontonians. I said, man, I've spent like four days there. Then I don't understand what you're thinking, Perry. I'm a Canadian, though. They're a Canadian team. That's all I'm saying. I don't want the Leafs to win. Get me wrong. If there was one Canadian team in, I think the Leafs are the last team I would pick standing. But if that's it, and they're the team I have, I will cheer for them to win a Stanley Cup over an American team. Simple as that. Yeah. You'd rather see the – you want to see it here. I, I'm just telling you, man, it'll be huge. If and when the Leafs finally end this drought since 1967, it'll be massive in this country. And, yes, the media hype will be through the roof because of, obviously, the, the Toronto bias in terms of national networks and all that. But I'll tell you, like, there's a lot of Leaf fans, not just here, not just in Calgary and Edmonton, but coast to coast. All right, 746, uh, Dunbar Lumber Text Line. Keep them coming in. A lot of people jumping in on this at 650, 650. Uh, your Canucks commute coming up at 8 o'clock. Ian McIntyre, Sportsnet Canucks Insider will drop on by. And I don't know if we're just simply going to go off the rails here, but our one and only Greg Ballack, who makes the magic happen on the other side of the glass, he always feels that goaltenders don't get enough love. And there's a lot oh, of stories please. circulating around about goaltenders these days. And so we're going to hand the keys over to Mr. Greg Ballack, and we'll do it next on this game day on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. Now more starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. All right, uh, nine minutes to uh, eight o'clock. Uh, your Canucks commute coming your way. It is game day, Canucks and the Leafs. Sabolski, uh, Solkowski, Greg Ballack usually mans the other side of the glass, but um, I don't know if this might be the death of us, but we're letting him uh, turn what are on his microphone here? here. Wow. Okay. Hello, gentlemen. Good morning, Greg. Hi, Greg. <laughs> I kept asking you in the break, are you sure you want to do this? A, we said no, and then you turned off our mics. <laughs> <laughs> you've always like you track goaltenders. You were a goalie playing. You were a goal. You've been a goalie coach as well. Uh, you do a lot of analytics uh, crunching as well when it comes to goaltenders. Uh, and you just quite frankly feel that goalies don't get enough love here on this show. Yeah, I'm the guy that sits there watching the game, just staring at the goalie the entire time. So <laughs> I'm the weirdo, and I yeah, you I like Kevin Woodley. Yeah, we <laughs> he watches one end, I watch the other end, and then we <laughs> then we converse. <laughs> But yes, so what's going on? There's a, there's a few found? stories around the league that uh, if you're not paying close attention to goalies, you might not notice. So you guys were, were ripping on Holtby in the in the first segment of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Holtby who is what they're saying in, in Washington because Vitek Vanacek, he's 5-1-1 one, one for the Caps since February 16th. They won 2-1 against Boston yesterday. In that stretch, 1.84 goals against 9.28 save percentage. Sometimes you just got to go with the young kid rather than bring back the old veteran like Holtby. 25 years old and... Uh... Yeah, I mean he's he, and, and you know he kind of got thrown in there because of injuries, right? And and he's made the most. Well, of the Lundquist with the heart yeah. condition, he, yeah. he wasn't supposed to be in the role that he's in right now, but he's been excellent. Yeah, he'd and... be in theory if, if if Henrik had gone there, he's probably in the minors right now, right? <laughs> 
yeah, Vitek Vanacek would be the third stringer. So he, he's gotten a big opportunity. He's taken advantage of it, and you love to see it. Mitch Korn, by the way, was a huge, huge fan of Vanacek before he left the Capitals to go to New York. So he's got some history there. He's not a random kid. He's he's actually a legit prospect, and he's having a heck of a year. Uh, Andre, or, uh, yeah, Vasilevsky, he's got three straight shutouts. Uh, it's it's a big story, obviously, but I think everybody knows he's just been unbelievable. Uh, his his goal saved above average doubles the next closest goaltender in the league. He he has to be the leading candidate for Vesna this year. I yeah, and I, I don't want to say he's underrated, but that team is so good in front of him. I mean, he, I think in a sense he almost is. Like he's just been so good, mm-hmm. and will continue to be for a long time. And Delta native to bring it back to a local uh, angle here, Delta native Tristan Jari. People thought, oh my goodness, they get rid of Murray, they get rid of Flurry. Now they're stuck with Jari, who's off to a terrible start. His save percentage climbed over 900 with the last game that he played. So he's he's had a little nice bounce back, and I don't he think things are doom and gloom. Real in that first mm-hmm. period against the Flyers. Um, I mean, just stood on his head the other night with uh, obviously with no Sidney Crosby. Um, yes. He was great. So don't he rule was... out don't rule out Tristan Jari if you're a fantasy player. You might want to pick him up. Penguins look like they're they're heating up a little bit, and I got to give shouts. To my boy Joey Dacord, stops 30 of 32 in his second NHL game for the Ottawa Senators. They lost 3-1 to Montreal a couple days ago, but uh, he's he's one of the guys further down on that depth chart of Ottawa, but a super nice guy, and it's nice to see him get back into the NHL for his second game. Hey, Balak, are you, are you on the mindset as we are? It should be Demko's to play. Forget about this back and forth now. It's tough with the back-to-backs. You know, the, the stats really aren't kind to goalies that are playing the second half of the back-to-back, but... In, in this type of weird season, there's so many of them. I think you have to start to skew the starts, uh, at least in the favor of, of Demko. Uh, if not, just give him the, the reins and run with it. Yeah, I think he's been clearly the, the better of the two goaltenders. Hey, quickly out of Florida, with what's happening, obviously the Panthers are committed to uh, Bobrovsky and the financial piece that is attached to it, but could the Seattle Kraken be looking at Dreger? Potentially, because the, the the Panthers are are kind of backed into a corner in the position they're in right yeah. now. I, right. I don't know if you would take a guy with as short of a track record as Chris Drieger. I think the, the Seattle will be looking for for a couple of goalies that are a little more, uh, you know, acclimated to the league a bit more. But but if uh, this season continues to play out like he's been unbelievable mm-hmm. with, with the Panthers, like, it's, and, it's been building for a few years too. He was good yeah. last year, and and he was even okay when he was in Ottawa. So. I think people just kind of underrated Drieger over all those years, and it's you know it's a shame they finally have a goalie on a, a terrible or a, a, you know, a low salary, and it's the guy sitting on the bench making ten million dollars. So it's yeah. it's a pretty Their bad situation. It's going to be there. interesting, Seattle. Yeah, mm-hmm. it'll be an interesting situation in Seattle as to what they do in the Nets. Do they go old school veteran like they did in Las Vegas, or do you go young gun and go let's build together? Tell you what, keep an eye out. If, if he continues to trend this direction, I mean, you know, as a young goaltender too, I mean, that could be a piece that the Kraken could be looking to snap up uh, this coming summer. Uh, Balak, you didn't sink the ship. Nice job, buddy. I try. I try. I try. <laughs> Once in a while. We'd appreciate that. Your Canucks commute is coming up next. Ian McIntyre joins the conversation as well. 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. It is game day. Canucks leaves from Rogers Arena, and you got it locked into your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. They're not coffee drinkers but they still keep it right in the mornings. We need to win, and uh, we we can fall back on that. We've been playing pretty darn well for the last couple weeks, uh, three weeks, but you got to win games. We have to win games right now. We want to be in the playoffs. The Canuck Commute on the starting lineup. 
Yeah, it's time to get on a run, now or never, and I think it's also time to ride Thatcher Demko here for the foreseeable future uh, in this stretch of games, especially with that sense of urgency still there uh, that you can't manufacture at other times. Uh, it's your Canucks commute here on this uh, Thursday morning. James Sabalski, Perry Selkowski, and a reminder that this hour is a presentation of our good friends at Surrey Honda. Visit Surrey Honda located at 152nd and Fraser Highway where you'll find quality and community. Before we kind of dive into the Leafs and the Canucks from Rogers Arena here tonight and um, and the latest as, as the world turns around the Vancouver Canucks here, pair. tell me this, um, a fair or foul moment for you. Yesterday I, I go to donate blood at a blood donor clinic in Ladner yesterday. And as I sit down and kind of put my arm down as get ready to get the uh, the old needle to mm-hmm. you know to take that pint of blood from me, one of the uh, one of the nurses or technicians kind of says to me, she says, uh, "I'm working with uh, you know um, Susan, who is uh, she's new, she's a trainee, and uh, do you feel comfortable with her uh, injecting this needle into your arm?" Oh. <laughs> She, you know, she's she's got lots of experience, but she's still a trainee. Do you feel uh, is, is it okay if she can uh, put the needle in you? And it's like, ah, uh, my first answer, you know, next time, why don't you ask me after? <laughs> right, like, uh, you know, I just didn't. I I ultimately said yes. I'm like, do people say no? And she's like, yeah, there's people who say no for various reasons, but she's like, eh, I don't know. It, but man, all of a sudden, like, I have, like, I'm I'm not bothered by needles anymore, like I was when I was a kid, but. Man, all of a sudden there was like a good three-minute window, and like this trainee, like, oh my god, like, I get you want to do yeah. it right, and you're trying to be cautious, but man, like you dragged the process out another ten minutes. But it was like, okay, how do you feel about a trainee? And it's like, you know, <laughs> well, it certainly it, gave me pause for concern here. Could be a Los Angeles Chargers doctor, and then you're in trouble too <laughs> with what they do with needles. I'll, I'll say this, Oops. right? Yeah. Um, you know, whenever you're buying groceries and someone's wearing the I'm training, like I'm a very patient guy. Mm-hmm. So it can take you forever and I'm good. Yeah. But you have to learn at some point, right? I, I had an operation back when this all started, COVID, probably about, uh, I think it was April. Yeah. And my operation, a minor surgery, but it was like at 4 o'clock on a Friday. So I'm rolling in. They roll me in there. I'm, I'm not uh, general anesthetic, so I'm talking. And I said, you know, when they ever hear it say you're buying a car, make sure you check the VIN number. And if that car was built Friday afternoon, probably not best to buy because really who's concentrating on the last couple hours of work. So I say that to the entire operating room, like, really? Are you guys going for drinks when you're done with me? Do you really care about it? Now, it was fun and they got a laugh with it. Unfortunately, the surgery wasn't actually successful. And as you know, I had to go back just prior to Christmas. But, you know, at some point you have to learn. I mean, what did you say? Like you said, oh, yeah, that's okay. Didn't you? Or did you call her up? No, I was I was okay. I I let her do it, but I kind of it I definitely had a moment where it was like, okay, yeah, I don't think it's okay. And then as, as she kind of came in and started, you know, like okay, looking, examining all my veins, and all right, kind of diving in here. Yeah, you know, like yeah. you know the training, like you you mentioned the trainee, like the 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 grocery store clerk or bagger. Yeah, okay, all day. You know, hey, we all we all started somewhere. You know, the trainee going through a drive-through at a fast food restaurant. I get it. We all started there at some point in time. You know, the trainee injecting a needle into you. Eh. <laughs> That's a tougher one. I did it. But I was definitely, I was definitely left like, uh, you know what? I think maybe there's still time to me to say, yeah, you know what? I just, uh, maybe I'll just go with the expert here. 
uh, you, you know, it's, it's just funny. You, yeah, you don't want you don't want a family member to be having surgery and go, hey, can we talk to the doctor? Yeah, no, this will be their first one ever. This is going to be great. Really? Can you practice? So there are breakthrough. Breaking through as a rookie in sports a little different than on the operating table and we're dealing with stuff. But they have to do it. Uh, credit to everybody in that medical field. Um, somebody texting in on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Uh, definitely second thoughts for a rookie doing a vasectomy. Yeah. I mean, you don't want him to <laughs> Alexander Ovechkin you. It's my first time. <laughs> it's my first time. Yeah. What? Really? Yeah. I think it's this one. Oh, jeez. Uh, Ian McIntyre will join us in a couple minutes. Uh, I, I I think we're on the same page here that it, it's time to give Thatcher Demko a good long look in net. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I said he should have played the other day. I, I would have played him back-to-back against Winnipeg because you have to coach this team desperately. And as we heard JT Miller coming into this 8 o'clock segment, I think, and, and, you know, the feeling I get from the Canuck fans is everything that is said is now hollow. Yes, if you want to get into the postseason. Yes, you've played well and maybe haven't got the results in the last month. And I think the expectations from this city right now are the fact that, okay, uh, let's see what you can do. You've got a confident hockey team, as confident as you can find in the NHL, coming in to play you. Yeah, they played yesterday. Are you going, hey, it'll take full advantage of it? Um, I, I just think, all right, actions are completely louder than words. And if nothing, if this is going to be a waste of a season, then find out if you have a starting goalie of the future and a guy that you can tie up long-term and go, hey, you're part of the group, and go from there with Thatcher Demko. Well, here's the other thing. You look at this stretch, so Monday morning kicked off a stretch of 13 games in the next 24 days for the Canucks, right? So they played two and they played the back-to-backs. I was okay with Holpe playing the second leg of the back-to-back, right? There's so many games here. But there's a sense of urgency, and this season is quickly slipping away for the Canucks, right? The math at some point is just going to be unrealistic to try. I mean, you can even make the point that it's unrealistic now to try to get back into a playoff race based on where they sit. And, you know, you look at the numbers overall in the league, they're one of the worst teams in hockey. But you still have a sense of urgency where it's kind of a do-or-die right now for this team to try to make something happen. You cannot manufacture that sort of mindset, right? This is where you no. got an excellent opportunity. And look, Demko thrived in a very small sample size last year in the playoffs when he stepped in against Vegas. You know, there's a window here to evaluate what Thatcher Demko is all about here going forward. He's an RFA at the end of the season. And Pear, I get the priority is Petey. I get the priority is Hughes. But there's another third RFA that they're going to have to figure out what to commit to. And look, the other thing is, I think the Canucks are going to want to deal with these contracts in different seasons as opposed to having all three of these guys coming up at the same time again. You're going to want to stagger these deals so you don't have to deal with this going forward. And what does that look like for Thatcher Demko? I mean, never mind Pedersen and Hughes right now. What does that look like for Thatcher Demko? I'm not sure. But I think here's an opportunity to try to figure out what you've got in Thatcher Demko because it's promising, especially over the last little while, these last few weeks. Like he's starting to emerge as the guy that people kind of say that, yes, okay, he is the goaltender of the future, but maybe even the now. He's had three opportunities in my mind to go, okay, let's, uh, let's deal with what he can do. It was this time last year, Markstrom's hurt. They got to go to Demko. In fact, I think they went into Toronto, and he struggled for a little bit and then found his form. 
thrown into the bubble situation. He was fantastic. And I think in the last month he's proven, hey, give it to me. And to me, those are three great tests to see and go, okay, Demko is the guy we're going to run with. So no longer 1A, 1B. It's Thatcher Demko's. Play him until he's not winning, until he's not hard, and go, okay, yeah, he's he's our guy, or he falls flat. And I think that's the one positive of this team right now. Thatcher Demko has continued to trend the way I think the organization had hoped. Ian McIntyre, our Sportsnet Canucks insider, joins the uh, discussion here on this Thursday morning. Good morning, IMAC. Good morning, fellas. And it's interesting uh, that you mentioned uh Perry, the, those two chances that Demko had last season because he talked uh, in the fall about after after that brilliant playoff cameo about how much he learned from his less successful run when Markstrom got hurt at the trade deadline. And you mentioned the, the Toronto game. Uh, Demko did struggle uh, during that during that absence, which and then kind of started to find his game um, just when the league shut down. But he's such a uh, smart, thoughtful, uh, self-aware athlete that uh, he went to school on, on what he did wrong, uh, both physically and mentally, and how he handled that first situation. And we saw what he was like uh, in the bubble. Now... Replacing somebody for a week, two weeks, three weeks at a time. Uh, I think three weeks was about the length that Markstrom would have been out uh, had last season continued uh, before the pandemic. Well, that's a big difference from, from, from trying to be an NHL starter where you're carrying the load for six months plus playoffs. So it's, it's early days. We saw he wasn't uh, very good at the start of the issue here, but he's been excellent really good uh the last four weeks or so so we'll see how he does the rest of the way it's his it's his ball to run with now for sure yeah no i I think like just just the window here and that's where it kind of went off the rails last year in that first sort of foray but you know i think that the numbers over the last few weeks are encouraging here too to see him trending in that sort of direction now i well they're they're more than encouraging they're they're exceptional like they're among among the league uh, best, and I should have them in front of me. You think I would be ready for a radio appearance? But I did look <laughs> no, right. yesterday. We, uh, numbers don't work on radio. No, yeah, but nine, I mean, nine, nine twenty uh, save percentage. I think over the last twelve games uh, that he's appeared. Like, yeah, but you if, know, you look at, if you look at if you look at the last uh, three and a half weeks, it's it's up near nine forty. So, mm-hmm. so he is playing exceptionally well. But now he's got to learn to to do this all the time. And, and be ready to play all the time. And as part of that, stay healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of mm-hmm. Markstrom's problems uh, as a starter. And, he, and Markstrom doesn't have many because he is elite. But you have to be able to stay healthy when you're playing, when you're playing this much. And, and we haven't really seen Demko tested that way. Uh, IMAC, we talked about it yesterday. And you, you touched on it in the intermission during the game on, on Sports with Merv. I thought Travis Green got it wrong. I, I thought he had to coach with a little more desperation and Demko, after three days off and a win, should have went back-to-back and say, let's see if we can get two in a row and deal with Toronto. Maybe that's where Holpe goes in. Uh, hindsight 2020. But uh, do you think that was a mistake and you should have given to Thatcher how he had played on Monday? Well, it's, it, you're right. The hindsight is 2020, and that's always easy to say. I, I think they they – 
probably overthought it a bit. I think, you know, based on how the two goalies were playing and, and also importantly, what the Canucks schedule had been that they'd had the three days off the back-to-backs were in the same city that there had been lots of practice time uh, the last three weeks relative to the first three weeks of the season. So uh, I think, I think Demko was, was fresh and, and I would have, I would have gone that way, but you know, Travis Green coached like an NHL coach and the great majority of teams used both, both their goalies in, in, in back to backs. Now, the only thing we don't know is uh, what, what did Thatcher Demko think about it? Did, did Thatcher tell them after, after the Monday game, uh, you know, I'm a little sore or did Ian Clark say, I noticed this, we need to just reset a bit. We don't know about that, but on the surface, it, it sure looked like, you know, Demko with the role he was on could have played two nights in a row. Uh, and having said that, I also want to make clear, cause I've listened to some of the discussion yesterday it's absurd to hang that loss on Braden Holtby, even though Holtby didn't play well enough. Uh, and there were a couple of goals that that he could have stopped. That wasn't that game wasn't Braden Holtby. But man, that was sort of backbreakers. When you, I, I would say this, like I, I understand where you're going, but man, like when you're in one and it's that tight, uh, and you're serving up goals like that in a tight game for a team that's already frail with confidence. Like those are you, you got to make those saves there. Yeah. Well, Canucks weren't good enough, and and the only way. But I don't think they were terrible. I don't think they were terrible. Like no, they weren't terrible. They weren't good enough. They got badly outplayed, and especially when the game was there for them, they got badly outplayed. And the third period was probably Holtby's best, which is when the Canucks were at their worst, and they still lost five two. Yeah, uh, and and who knows what we get tonight? Hey, let's go back in time. Uh, I'm sure you were in Arizona. It was a a tweet of a palm tree, I believe. Is that how you found out about the Roberto Luongo trade? I mean, back mm. then you think about social yeah. media, but Strombaum one was he was ahead of it, man. Was that it? The palm tree that made you go, what what just happened here? Yeah, it was it was uh, an incredible, an incredible deadline, and uh, especially what had led into it. it it was such a such a bizarre season you know Tortorella's uh, only season and Gillis's last season as it turned out to be and uh, the uh, winter classic had been shortly before that and yeah it was uh, it was kind of surreal but I also remember that day when uh, Luongo came out and spoke to us in in front of uh the hotel, the Renaissance, where almost all the teams stay in in Arizona, especially if they're in and out, because the, the the rink is is next to the hotel. And just talking to him, and uh, it, it didn't seem real in, in a way. Like really, they've like <laughs> they traded Schneider. Now they're going to trade Luongo, and and that they found a taker for him after whatever it was, two years that Mike Gillis had been looking for a trade. It, it didn't seem real. And yet there was, 
equal parts relief that the saga was over and uh, sort of a good feeling for Luongo. Like, I was happy for Roberto that he got to go home and, and finish his career with Florida. Uh, not so thrilled about the, the cap recapture penalty now, the, the legacy for now, mm-hmm. but uh, he was such a gracious uh, figure in defeat. You know, he, he was far more popular when things went poorly for him than he'd ever been when things went well because uh, he displayed such uh, humility and, and graciousness. And he continued to do that on, on that day where he talked about his time with the Canucks and, and this saga finally being over and a chance for him to go home and play uh, for the Panthers. Uh, you know, I was, I was happy for him. Uh, and surprising, and you say it was still such a shocker. You were around this team the whole time. That's the amazing well, thing, right? That well, it just it, it had gone on uh, so long. You know, there there'd been you know false hopes uh, on a trade earlier with potential trade with Toronto. Uh, Florida seemed to be the only team we wanted to play for, and you know that was Roberto's fault. In in hindsight, that's why things were so difficult for for Gillis to find a trading partner other than that Gillis overestimated what Luongo's appeal would be to other teams, especially under that contract. Um, But he also had his hands tied because Roberto only wanted to play for Florida and Florida uh, had strung the Canucks along a bit. And then it had become clear that they, they weren't interested. And it was only when uh, Pat Brisson sort of, took charge and, and talked to Dale Talon. I don't know what Brisson said to Dale Talon, but suddenly he got the Panthers interested again. And it just seemed, you know, we, there'd been so many turns in that saga that it, it, it felt impossible that there could be a surprise at the end of it. And yet there was with Luongo getting traded after all. And then of course you wondered, well, you know, shouldn't they still have Corey Schneider then who at that point was one of the best goalies in the NHL. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, it's one of the more interesting times in the many years that I've covered the Canucks that season was one of the most interesting seasons. Uh, That one, uh, the season where Mike Keenan started and, and with Brian Burke, actually the two, the two seasons that involved Mike Keenan, (laughs) Were, were fascinating, but yeah, that that time with uh, with Gillis, uh, Luongo, and Tortorella and Vigno had left, and you could kind of feel like there was a change coming with management as well, potentially. So it was uh, it was an interesting time. Thanks, iMac. Busy day for you and a long day ahead. Uh, so thanks for finding a time with us bright and early this morning, for at least for yeah. you. How about those Leafs? Uh, man, <laughs> but you know what's I mean the crazy thing is is doing it with defense right as much as we talk about the Austin Matthews show you know this yeah. is a team that's not given up much in their own end no and they seem to be able to win without Austin Matthews and they seem to be able to win no matter who's in goal but uh, it's awfully sobering from a from a Canucks perspective when you see how impressive the Oilers swept uh, Vancouver here and then they go and just absolutely get trampled by the Leafs. It tells you how good Toronto might be. 
Yeah, and it pains me to say that. I take no joy in it. (laughs) We'll see what happens tonight, IMAC. See you guys. Thanks, pal. See you. Uh, Ian McIntyre, uh, Sportsnet Canucks insider, weighing in with his thoughts on where things sit for the Vancouver Canucks right now, taking a trip down memory lane as well with the Luongo uh, trade going down on this day seven years ago and uh, just how good this Leafs team is. Um, uh, look. Which can we we can argue, right? They beat six teams so far. Are they that the best team in Canada? How good are they against the rest of the NHL? That's a barometer we don't know. Well, I mean, look. I mean, I, I think you can find some warts in other divisions here too, right? Like, I, I think you can look around. Yeah, I for mean, sure. Um, you know, the, the, the Central Division, hey, look, uh, you know, maybe Columbus isn't what we thought they were. The Predators, obviously, are, are not very good this year. The Detroit Red Wings, I mean, that's that's a team that uh, it's kind of automatic win night in the eyes of some teams in that division, right? The Dallas Stars have, you know, they haven't played a lot of games, but they've had some health issues and it's kind of derailed them. Um, how about, you know, New Jersey and Buffalo in the East, right? Like there are soft teams in each division, right? If you want to look at, you know, look at the West, right? Anaheim, San Jose. Um, yeah, the Kings, I think, are trending in the right direction. But like there's there's soft teams in every division, right? I don't think you can completely write off the Canadian division or the North division as being just, oh, this is so terrible. Look, I think we knew that there were warts on every team, just a question of which one we're going to pop out more than others. And right now we're going through a stretch where Montreal, Calgary, and Vancouver uh, are all kind of showing theirs in in large forms right now. But, you know, I would also say the Jets are a really good hockey team, man. Like, I would put the Jets in any division and say, you know what, they'll be plucky and they'll be competitive. I'd put the Jets to probably come out with a playoff spot in, in most divisions. Like, that's still a really good hockey team. I think out east with Washington, the Islanders, Phillies there, Boston, and Pittsburgh, who is still hanging on, is probably the most competitive. Uh, you know, I mean, you heard it last night from Dave Tippett with the Oilers coach going, okay, when we were asked to to show that compete, we didn't have it. Same thing Travis Green kind of said about the third period. You know, we're asked to have more of a pushback, and we couldn't. And Green giving credit to the Winnipeg Jets. Like, you know, there's another team on the ice. You're hoping to do something, but if they're not allowing it to – um, I, I, the Canadian division, I think, has been weaker than I anticipated it to be because I think mentally there's something questioning and going on in Calgary. Here we know the only issues with with the Canucks. Montreal, the great start. I think Montreal is fine, and I would go Montreal, Winnipeg right now uh, with Toronto to the teams to go at. It, but it'll be the fascinating point. As much as, and I think some people are getting tired of here, they come again. It will be fascinating come playoff time to go. Okay, so you won the Canadian division. How do you stack up against? be at St. Louis, be at the Washington Capitals. Is it good enough? You can only play what's in front of you. And right now for the Maple Leafs, as they come in tired, they're pretty confident at whoever's in front of them that they're the better hockey team. And statistically, it's tough to argue right now. Yeah, I think a lot of people are guilty of overrating the Canucks in this town, right, for this upcoming season. But I think that some, depending on how you viewed, you know, it, it was everybody had a different list in terms of what they saw as the teams that would be in the playoffs in this North Division. Uh, I guess it's just depending on how you viewed and how you rated a team. You know, the four teams that I have going into the playoffs out of the North, I I, I still like them. I, I had the Leafs, I had the Jets, I had the Oilers, and I had the Habs. You know, and I, I'll, I'll probably get the order wrong because I thought Montreal would win the division, but I still like those four teams to come out in the North. 
I said that back in January, and here we are in the beginning of March. I still like those picks right now on my part. I'm patting myself on the back. How about that? No, you you can do that. You know what? And I don't see that changing in any form. Um, and the biggest surprise of all that, they'll say it's Vancouver. I don't think so. I think it's in Calgary. You tried to fill the holes with what you had. You went and got your guys, and you still are having some issues with what you have there. It's not it's not your goaltending issue. There's another issue with the Calgary Flames that will have to be addressed in the offseason. All right, 27 minutes after 8 o'clock, 6.50, 6.50, the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, lots to get to, uh, and uh, yeah, man, I'll tell you what, also still to come, one of the coolest bucket list moments of my life got scratched off last night. I'll share that story before we wind things up, before we turn things over to the Scott Rintoul Show. It's all still ahead. It's game day here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 6.50. Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 832, a reminder this hour, presentation of our good friends over at Surrey Honda. Go visit Nasir and the gang over at Surrey Honda, located at 152nd and Fraser Highway, where you'll find quality and community. I'm James Sabolski. He's Perry Solkowski, taking you until 9 o'clock when the Scott Rintoul Show takes on over. Good text here um, on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650 here, Pear, uh, from Dino Bravo. I'm not sure it was the former um, wrestler Wrestler. turned um, um, mob uh, cigarette smuggler. Um, Great documentary about that, by the way. But uh, Dino kind of chiming in saying, interesting to hear IMAX say he could sense... Uh, and feel a management change coming in 2014. I'm sure the same feeling this year. It's going to be hard for Benning to survive if the team closes out the back of the season the same way the first half has gone. I think if there's any sign, if there's no sign of improvement from here to the finish line, Benning will be toast. And if they finish looking decent, he just may survive. What do you think about that? If there's some promise, like all of a sudden this team finishes strong, is there enough to kind of? change the tide of where this toxic uh, sort of, well, I don't want to say toxic, but man, like the sentiment that now it's like, you know what, Benning is done. I think there is, I think everybody is essentially of the opinion that at this point, Jim Benning will probably be done at the end of this season. But if this team goes on a run here between now and the end of the year, does that maybe salvage his reputation, at least in the eyes of ownership by the time we get to the summer? Well, does that run get him in the playoffs? Or does that run uh, just go, hey, you played better hockey, you played 600 hockey, you fell short because your first two months. I, I, You know, it's funny. He, he talks about IMAC did Mike Keenan. You used the word toxic. It was toxic with Mike Keenan and, and with Brian Burke and Berkey when he was a regular before he went back to Pittsburgh. He's talked about it. His book talks about it. It wasn't his guy. Keenan wasn't his guy, and they just didn't work the same. Luongo traded seven years today. With Tortorella, the fix, the, you know, the glimmer and the shine had left that roster, and you made a move, and to IMAX said, you know, you, at one point you go, man, you've got two great goalies in Corey Schneider and Roberto Luongo, and then all of a sudden you had nothing. And until Jacob Markstrom kind of found his groove the last year and a half, it was kind of a wasteland to go, okay, what do we have for goalies? Um, is it similar? Yeah, it sounded to me like, all right, if you're putting up the, the tripod, Keenan years. You're going to go with what happened with uh, the end of the era of the Stanley Cup run and kind of the expectation where someone will likely take the fall. And if this team doesn't find the postseason, I think Jim Benning takes the fall because it's time to shop. And he may draft, but shopping, free agents, building has not been his forte. 
So you look at what's happening from a prospect standpoint right now, and again, they're only prospects. It, it, I guess it depends on what you believe going forward. But Jonah Gatchevich right now has, I think he's tied for second right now in the American Hockey League scoring, but he's got seven goals already this year. Mm. You know, and and Cole Lynn is off to a great start offensively as well. And think about how his start in the American Hockey League started a couple of years ago, where now he's he's found his groove. He's found his confidence as a bit of a late bloomer here, nearly four years after he was drafted in the second round. You know, Pod Colson's playing his second game in the KHL playoffs uh, today for SKA. You know, I believe he scored in his in his first game, but. He's playing, He's playing on a line with Lyndon Vay today. Yeah, how about yeah. that with Lyndon but, Vay? But you know, and Jack Rathbone's off to a good start. Yeah. But if you're, you know, if you're Jim Benning and you're trying to save face here with the way that this team's kind of gone off the rails, you know, there's a way you could potentially sell hope if you get a strong finish from the kids here that are not only with the big club, but maybe selling the fact that hey, look. You know, this second wave, this second crop of prospects are ready to break on through. We've seen it with Niels Hoaglander. Pod Colson could be here before the end of the year. You know, is Jack Rathbone ready for prime time next season? Is Cole Lynn? I don't think everybody's going to hit, and that's the other question in terms of you can't assume that every prospect's going to be here, but if you're if you're batting five hundred on some of these guys, I think that's something that you could maybe try to sell. At this point, I don't think anybody wants it. I don't think anybody wants to hear Jim Benning, and I think the way things have gone, it feels like the end is near here, right? It feels like Jim Benning will not be back. I certainly can't see it at this point. But if you get a strong finish from these kids, does that change the narrative here in the next two, three months? Let's go back a couple years ago, and I think it might have been two seasons and why it sticks in my head. It was a Jim Benning, I think, end of a press conference that he had done, and he talked about what makes Stanley Cup championship teams. Remember, he kind of got into the average age, and it was like 27 or 28. Like, that's how old you're going to be before you get there. So, James, how do you sell the team to go, hey, Rathbone, who's had a great couple weeks to start his pro career, might be coming up the pipeline. That's great. That's why I was all for the JT Miller trade. Give up a draft pick to get a guy who's in that age slot, who's got some experience, to help you out. So I'm not questioning, I don't think people are, the young talent that the Canucks have. The fact is they haven't been able to aug that meant through for augmented through free agency or trades that have really come in and said, man, that really solidified it. Sven Berchie's about 27 right now. That never worked out. Tim Schaller, we talked about, that didn't work out. Furlan, you gambled, that didn't work out. So those young pieces, and there still may be more coming up if Pod Colson gets here, are great. But how are you augmenting that? Well, you can't get it because you'd have to have a draft pick that's been going at it. So Bo will get to that age. But you actually have to make sure through your free agency or through some trades, you hit one or two of them. Hasn't hit a whole bunch. No, no, I think there's been a lot of misses. I mean, I think if you look at the three biggest trades that Jim Benning has made as general manager here, he got the Miller one right. I, I, I think that trade has still worked out, despite you know the concerns sure. and the issues that have happened yes. this year. I mean, he's a point-of-game player for this team the two seasons that he's been here. Um, I would say there's that. I would say that there is um, the Kessler trade. Now, he was you know trying to make that deal with essentially one hand tied behind his back and, and didn't really have much in the way of options. But that was a, I don't think that trade really kind of worked out with a, with a piece – like Kessler. 
And I think the other trade of, of significance and substance was the Erica Branson trade. And that turned out to be a big miss, right? Now, by the end of it, you salvaged Tanner Pearson out of it when you mm-hmm. cut bait on Good Branson with Pittsburgh. But it still cost a lot to bring in a defenseman that just was clearly not a top four defenseman here for this team. And you gave up a Mars- lot. You know, Jerry McCann, obviously, and the draft picks, like that was that was a whip. So essentially, if you look at those three significant trades, Jim Benning went one for three on those. Uh you know, it's Not the wasteland enough. to me. To me, it's the wasteland of two and three million dollar players that you went and got that really have not contributed as much as they should. Now, yeah, the, the economics have changed, and maybe three million two years ago wasn't as much as, as it is now when the, the cap is flat. But man, you know, we talked about Tim Schaller almost two million dollars, really. You know, what you had to pay Rossell and Beagle at that point, yet you spent a lot of money. The Sven Berchies that never showed up. Ryan Spooner coming here, a contractor still eating. Those have come back to haunt Jim Benning. And people are going, oh, Benning will be around. Hey, the Vanek trade is right. Mott is his, maybe his best deal that for, for Thomas Vanek, he got Tyler Mott, who this team is really missing because you know you've got him in your bottom six and he's always doing something. But, you know, some people think Benning's back. That would be an incredible show of patience by the owner. We don't know because you don't hear from him. We can't get in the rooms anymore. But Jim Benning, I think, for him to survive is going to be patience. And as you said, maybe they turn it around. Some people going, hey, there's still half a year left. Good on you. Rose-colored glasses. Go with it. But uh, I don't like your chances. Uh, um, Somebody pointing out the – you know, Vanek trade. Come on, guys. Mod is godly. Uh, you know what? Hey, look, I, that, that, I don't think that was a, a significant trade. But you know what? Uh, like in terms of sizable trades, but it it worked out. It was a huge win for the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, it's a it was one that Jim was absolutely crucified for at the time three years ago. Uh, Mitch and Victoria giving us the old kick in the ass. Hey, House Radio, how the heck is Benning safe if the team goes on a run? Want to explain that ludicrous take? Um, if the hey, look, do you think Jim Benning's getting fired if the Canucks found a way to get in the playoffs this year? No, no, no. himself time. No, a hundred percent. Jim Benning is not getting. If the Canucks found a way to get into the playoffs at the end of this year, come on, honestly, get, like, ask yourself legitimately. Even if you hate Jim Benning, and you are, you know, if he's on your dartboard right now, you know, if if he if you have a a Jim Benning cardboard cutout in front of your car when you drive out of your driveway every day, if the Canucks get into the playoffs, Jim Benning is not going anywhere. I'd be shocked if the Canucks made the playoffs and Jim Benning was fired. I think people. I don't think forget. that's a crazy I... take either. I don't like that's that's like legit. Why would you fire a guy if your team's in the playoffs? Like you can sell that saying, hey, see, teams go in the right direction. If Jim Benning's in the play, if Jim Benning gets his team to the playoffs, that means that bottom six, maybe Holglander is all of a sudden lighting it up. Maybe Jake has found uh, has found his game again. Nate Schmidt is contributing. Everything Jim Benning gambled on would have to come to fruition because the lot of line playing really well is not good enough to get this team into the postseason. So yeah, they're darn right. If they get into the postseason, just like it was in the bubble, anytime you took a shot of Jim Benning in the bubble, he's going. Hey, man, I told you guys, look what this young team's doing. Like, you got to feel as good as possible. This wasn't a bad summer for Jim while they were playing hockey. Now, as soon as hockey stopped and it was time to get some work done, yeah, I think the hair turned a little gray. But, yeah, if somehow, some way, they have an incredible second half and they find a postseason, I think Jim Benning is safe for sure 
Because now you go, all right, we got there, and now we've got some money to spend. Let's add. Let's find that piece. And Pod Colson's here. He's great. Sure, that's not crazy, man. They get in fine. And I think when this started, we said, hey, if this team doesn't make the playoffs, there's probably a job that's going to be lost. Didn't think it would be Travis Greens, and I still don't think it's Travis Greens, but someone else will go and be Jim Benning. Um, how about this text here? Uh, name one player Jim Benning has made uh, where the player let go, let go came back to bite us. You can't do it. Well, off the top of your head. What do you off the mean? top of your head. So, name, so Tyler name Foley a doesn't count? That certainly feels like one right now. Yeah. Like, that, I mean, no, no, that's that, that. Yeah, no, I think that that's one. And he's absolutely killed the Canucks so far this season, right? And guess what? There's two more Tyler Toffoli appearances coming up later on this year. Um, I think Jared McCann, I think people would point to as, as one that has turned out to be a pretty good player. But, man, I always go back to at the time, like, Jared McCann had a really bad reputation within the room. He had a really yes. bad reputation. Now it seems as though he has matured, and it seems like he has found a found a home as a as a quality top nine player in the National Hockey League. Um, but I I don't know if you can say, man, that that's one that really haunted the team. Interesting thought. I mean, this is just you know spitballing on the fly here. But yeah, I guess the Toffoli one is probably the one. I think your point um, is the one that probably stands out. But I'm not so sure that in two years' time you don't see Tyler Toffoli slowing down, not putting up great numbers, and go, good thing they're not saddled with that contract, right? Uh, it, it's difficult to tell. Immediately, yes. But, you know, do you look back to that end? You go, oh, my goodness. Erica Branson's playing 20 minutes in Ottawa. Do you think he'd be good in this? Well, no. You have to move them. So um, I don't know. It, de- it depends what the, the person text means. Like, automatically? Sure. But someone who went on to have a great – career and you go man they should never have got rid of him I don't think we've seen that yet we may see it in Calgary but as people have said they've got our two best players what's Calgary doing right now Markstrom is hurt are we going to Ruth going Chris Tanev continues to get it done I'm not sure because hopefully you feel that so um, I, I think you have to wait and go who he let go really hurt us it hasn't really happened that much yet uh, a lot of good text coming in here at the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Uh, we'll try to get to a few more before we turn things over to Scotty. Some final thoughts. And, man, one awesome night uh, last night. I'll tell, tell you all about it next right here. It's game day here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. All right, nine minutes to uh, nine o'clock. The Scott Rintoul Show coming your way at the top of the hour. Sabalski, Selkowski, uh, thanks so much to everybody uh, who took part uh, in the uh, 2021 edition of the JCC Sports Dinner, which was held last night virtually with very special guest Magic Johnson. Parrot man, like that was such a bucket list uh, thing for me to experience last night. I, I, like I started watching basketball because of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but I was a Magic Johnson. Like, Magic Johnson made me fall in love with basketball. Like, I loved Magic. He was my guy as a kid, uh, you know, as a basketball fan. And to kind of just hang out and pick his brain and, and talk stories with him last night was outstanding. I mean, selfishly speaking, it was one of my favorite experiences I've had from an interview standpoint ever. No, you did a wonderful job, and I had reiterated last week, uh, you know, the Lakers played an exhibition game once in Edmonton, and I was there, and I just, there was no need for media coverage, but I had a media pass, and I went just to talk to him, and he was, he smiled and engaging. I got my three minutes. You got 30-plus. He was great. And, man, the stories he has, eh? The Michael Jackson story was fantastic. (laughs) It was great. So just to give you the backstory here, so 
if anybody remembers, Magic Johnson was in a Michael Jackson video, Remember the Time, in, in the early 90s. So I had asked if there was any good stories out of that with Michael Jackson, and he, and he told the story of how he got a call at the house one day, he answers the phone, and it's like, hey, Magic, it's Michael Jackson. And, and Magic doing the, doing the actual Michael Jackson yes. voice, and he was like, <laughs> I'm not buying that, I, whoever this is, and he hung up the phone. Phone rings again, answers it again. Magic, it's Michael Jackson. What a, man, whoever this is, I'm not playing, hung, hangs up again. Phone rings a third time a few minutes after that. It's Jackie Jackson, one of the members of the Jackson 5, uh, Michael's brother. And he says, Magic, why do you keep hanging up with my brother? And it's like, Magic's like, oh, my God, I hung up on Michael Jackson. Like, man, you cannot call me just like saying you're Michael Jackson. So Michael invites Magic to dinner at the ranch, and they sit down, and, and Magic uh, you know, is asked what he'd like for dinner. And you know, Magic trying to come across as a professional and an athlete, he says, I'll, I'll have some grilled chicken and vegetables, please. And, um, so dinner comes, and you know, Chef brings over uh, this plate of grilled vegetables and chicken. And at the other end, this giant silver platter is brought for Michael Jackson, and it's just a silver platter filled with KFC. To which Magic Johnson looks and says, Michael Jackson eats Kentucky Fried Chicken. I want in on that. Magic rushes down to the other end of the table, and there was Michael Jackson and, Mike, and Magic Johnson crushing KFC. So even the greats can get down on a little dirty bird pair. I had to watch the video because I forgot of it, and I appreciate it even more because for the first time in probably a half year last Friday, I picked up a bucket of KFC, and God, it was good. <laughs> Once a year, man. Once a year, I will die oh, and, yeah. and get all that gravy and the and the macaroni salad and the Dirty Bird. Yeah, I feel like there might be a KFC uh, run this weekend uh, going down. We got to get out of here. Uh, Ron McLean joins us tomorrow. Don't forget, pregame show, 5 o'clock here on Sportsnet 650. Puck drop at 7 with Batch and Hershey, and we're back at it. Same bad time, same bad channel right here on your home of the Canucks. It's game day on Sportsnet 650.